This is Jocko Podcast number 116 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. So this then was the culmination to die. Die in the stinking mud. Twice before, I'd crossed this no man's land, darting from shell hole to shell hole. I'm no hero. I was numb with fear. But this time, a barrage was on. I lay there at the wasteland's edge, thinking, was there any way? To the right lay crack-shot snipers. To the left, in the brush, machine guns, hungry, waiting. And fair in the front, great bursting mud clouds playing toss with bodies. Get through once more, son, the colonel had said. Communications down, our guns firing short, killing our boys. Yes, it must be done. But how? Wait. The barrage sweeping across the field and back, a deadly windshield wiper. Were I to follow it down, and when I returned, dig in, I might. Now. Drunk with fighting fear, I chased the mud cloud down the field, kicking dead bodies, twisting like a ghost. And I laughed and I yelled, you bastards, you can't get me. Our trenches ahead, almost there. Back came Hell's windshield wiper, vomiting death, and I dug in, dug in with all I had. Mom, dear God, help me. On it came. 40 feet. 20 feet. God. My head. Torn from my body. Is this what being dead is like? Peace, quiet, clean white sheets. My head must still be here, it hurts me. These must be my fingers, I can move them. And now a voice. My boy, for you, The war is over. You hear that, Mom? I'm still alive. I did not die. I'm coming home. And that is a poem that was written by a man by the name of Ralph Moan of East Machias, Maine, who left his job as a civil engineer in Waterville, Maine, to enlist in the Army in 1917. 
and he was wounded badly on that day, but he did live. And he was decorated for his actions on that day. And the citation for his award reads, The President of the United States of America, authorized by Act of Congress, 9 July 1918, takes pleasure in presenting the Distinguished Service Cross to mechanic Ralph T. Moan, United States Army, for extraordinary heroism in action while serving with Company K, 103rd Infantry Regiment, 26th Division, American Expeditionary Force, near Rayville, France, 26 September, 1918. Mechanic Moan, who is detailed as a runner, made several trips carrying important messages across terrain, swept by constant fire from machine guns, snipers, trench mortars, and artillery. His disregard for personal safety and devotion to duty in the prompt delivery of messages contributed greatly to the success of the action. And Ralph Moan according to his family, never spoke of the war to his children or his grandchildren. But he did live with it every day. And tonight I am honored to have a guest back on the podcast who is also wounded in war, but who has not let that stop him in any way from driving on with his mission and his life and doing more than most people could ever even imagine. Mr. Rob Jones, a Marine, a wounded warrior, and an inspiration to anyone that's lucky enough to come into contact with him. Rob Jones, welcome back to the show. Hey, you know what? It's uh, an honor to be just a single-time guest on what I consider to be the best podcast on the airwaves. Well, thank but you. to be a two-time guest is purely <laughs> rarefied air, and I'm just I appreciate you guys deeming me worthy of a of a second visit. So, and Absolutely. to be compared to that gentleman is uh, even greater honor. So, yeah, you. you know, I read that a while back, and it was one of those things. As I was reading it, I was thinking, I was thinking about you. I was thinking about you know, I was thinking about Jody, uh, thinking about Travis, thinking about you guys that were, were wounded bad. Mm-hmm. And and I've heard that before in another, there's another book I read about World War One where guys, they wake up, they think they're in heaven because they see white sheets and they see, <laughs> you know, there's a nurse there that's talking nicely to them and they think they're dead, they think they're in heaven. And that that reminded me, you know, when I read that, I was thinking about you and, and, and having waking up, you know, in a in a hospital somewhere and, I know you actually woke up. You're not supposed to wake up in Germany, but you did. No, you're not supposed to, but uh, yeah, for whatever reason, I woke up. I think I need to drink a water or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> need to hydrate. Yeah, I'm not sure why I woke up. I don't remember much, but, and uh, I didn't definitely didn't see anybody you could mistake for an angel or anything. My <laughs> old squad leader is definitely yeah. not an angel. Well, for anyone that's listening that hasn't listened to the first time Rob was on, go back and listen to episode 92 and that's where we go through what Rob went through how he's raised you know growing up to join the Marine Corps deployment to Iraq deployment to Afghanistan and that's that's where Rob was wounded hit an IED and and 
ended up losing both legs above the knee. But like I said, that didn't stop Rob. And he went from that. And in the podcast, we we jumped really quickly through sort of your healing process. Right. And we jumped right into the fact that you were went out and did the, the Paralympics as a rower. Mm-hmm. And we, we jumped into the fact that you rode a bicycle across America, <laughs> which is... <laughs> Yeah, across America <laughs> during the polar vortex, by the way. Yeah, that's all that stuff is covered in 92. But I was I was actually going back and I was listening to 92 and I realized that, you know, maybe it's just your it's your attitude that might have might have made me kind of do this in the conversation. Your attitude was like, yeah, I, I lost both my legs. And then, and then I was just competing in the Paralympics. You know, <laughs> you, you, you made it sound like it's like it was like it was easy. That's that's the way it kind of came across in the podcast. And and. What, what I wanted to do today was kind of at least go back and talk a little with a little bit more detail about that process of going because it's a long process, right? Year and a half, yeah, for me anyway. Yeah, yeah, a year and a half of from letting the wounds heal all the way through, you know, where now you're you're competing in the Paralympics and you're getting around and you're mobile and all that. So you get back. How long does it take? for your wounds because you can't do anything until your wounds are healed up right no i mean well you can do some stuff you can't do anything as far as prosthetics are are, uh, concerned so in the beginning you know the the physical therapist would come in and they just basically just have me move my stumps around and that would be like you know lift your right stump 10 times lift your left one move it out and back and then that would be it for the day or, you know, I could do, you know, my arm still works, so I would do little pull-ups on my little trapeze bar that I had attached to the uh, the bed. But, yeah, it was, you know, surgeries every other day. They'd just come in and uh, take me over, and they'd just be just cleaning the wound out, any dead tissue or anything that was still left in there, they'd clean that out. But I had these wound vac machines on that were just constantly sucking the fluids out of the wounds because they were, they were open for the first month. And yeah, so they're just like kind of sucking that stuff out and it's just a, you know, a waiting game at that point. I mean, you're, you can do some stuff like I've figured out how to, you know, it's slowly got to kind of re-figured out how to move my body around and move my legs around to get comfortable. And were you getting like the phantom pains? Yeah. I didn't get it as bad as Travis had it. I mm-hmm. never had to do a, uh, what was it? A ketamine coma in order yeah. to... I had it some, um, and they gave me this stuff called Lyrica, which is like a fibromyalgia medication. Mm-hmm. And I got it, and I never really had it all that bad. It's like it's pretty much at the same level it is it is, is now, where every maybe twice a day my toe will kind of like hurt pretty bad for four or five seconds, and that's it. But there's some people that have it a lot worse, so I kind of lucked out with that. But yeah, so. First month, just kind of learning how to get into the wheelchair. Um, and, you know, at first I wouldn't, I couldn't, I was so sore I couldn't really move very much. And so I would have to have a nurse and whoever was in there visiting me. If I wanted to get in my wheelchair, I'd be sitting on this little pad, mm-hmm. and I'd say, "All right, well, I want to go for a roll." And then so they would, the nurse would be on one side and the other person would be on the other side, and they kind of like scoot me onto the wheelchair. And then we'd have to take the wound back machines and hook them onto the wheelchair and take my catheter, which I was very, was very protective of that catheter. <laughs> sure. 
Jack. <laughs> uh, hang that on there, and then uh, the IV pole would have to come with me. And so then I would just kind of roll myself around the ward a couple times with you know my dad or my mom or somebody pushing the IV pole. And, yeah, I'd just do that a couple times. Then I'd go see my buddy Daniel because he couldn't get out of bed yet. So I'd go and see, visit him for a little bit, and then I'd go back to my room, and that'd be pretty much my exercise for the day. And then have, uh, like, six milkshakes. <laughs> <laughs> just uh, eating as much as I possibly could to, to help with the healing process. Now, where did you go through the whole woe is me, why did this happen to me, did you go through that at all? And I, I mean, I know I've I've listened to some of your stuff and reading some of your stuff. You know, you, you talk about the fact that you knew you had to just move to like an acceptance phase right. immediately. Is that is that what you did? I mean, how, how did you get through? Look, man, people hit all kinds of freaking roadblocks in life and, and very few of them are as heavy of and big of a roadblock as you hit and you seem to power through that thing mm -hmm. like miraculously you know i don't i never i never ex entered into an extended period that could be described as like a depression or woe is me or, you know feeling sorry for myself it would come in very short waves um where you know i'd be i'd be sitting around or i i would struggle with something maybe and then after I figured it out, I might sit there for a couple of minutes and be like, man. Uh, but that'd be about it. And then we'd be go away after, you know, a minute or two. It'd be kind of like, uh, I almost kind of like if you're, if you're talking to a girl in a bar and you like your voice cracks, you just totally blow it and you look like an idiot. And then you go back to the table and like, man, <laughs> sure. you know, like that. It was, it was almost kind of like that. Or you're like, man, how did I? How did I miss that IED? You know, this, man, this sucks. But and I, you know, I I didn't really think about it probably this way at the time. I couldn't articulate it at the time like this. But it's like that whether or not you know I deserved. I, I you know I did. I could acknowledge I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve to be a double amputee. I didn't. Uh, it wasn't you know fair. There's a lot of other guys that were running around in that same exact area. They didn't step on it, so it wasn't necessarily fair that I had to be an uh, an amputee. I didn't want to be an amputee, but none of that mattered. Um, it did. None of that had any bearing on whether or not I wanted to have an enjoyable life, and I did. I, was, I, I sat there and I was like, well, what is my mission in life? If you really take it to its base level, you know, have an impact, uh, enjoy my life. That doesn't change just because now I'm an amputee and whether or not it's fair or the fact that I'm starting from a, you know, a little bit more of a disadvantaged position now, all that stuff has no bearing on whether or not I want to accomplish my mission. And so... Realizing that, you just kind of, well, what do I have to do now? I mean, that stuff's in the past, so all I can really affect is how I react to it. And, you know, so I think that's kind of how I I skipped all that stuff. Did you, I know um, one one thing that I remember, and, you know, one of my guys, Ryan Job, he got, he got shot in the face and he got mm -hmm. gravely wounded and, you know, he, he ended up blind. And... Um, he was down with a lot of casualties that had guys that had 
really bad uh, brain injuries. Right. And he was there for a little while. And, you know, these were guys that had been severely wounded and, like I said, had severe brain injuries. So they're having trouble communicating. They're having trouble with motor skills. And, and these uh, almost all the time come with other physical injuries. And, you know, his attitude was, hey, look, I'm taking up a bed here. And, and we should give it to someone else. These guys are having a much harder time than me. I'm lucky because I didn't get that injury. All I got was blind and, and you know, some, some, some damage to my face. But right. it, it, was, it was amazing to me to see a guy like Ryan Job who, who just looked at him himself and said, oh, I'm lucky. I'm lucky those guys are worse off than me. Try and give your efforts to take care of these other guys instead yeah. of trying to take care of me. I can I can do okay. Open up this bed for someone else and send me to a send me somewhere else. And, and that's what they did. And I think that you know that attitude of like, hey, this could be much worse, right? And uh, to me, first of all, hearing him talk about that was was. A, a testament to like the spirit of a guy that just is going to carry on and drive on and yeah. the things that he did before he died were was amazing you know <clears throat> he graduated college with like with like a straight a grade point average he got married he you know his wife got pregnant his uh he got a job with a defense contract I and mean, he was like totally on the path and crushing it despite the fact that he had a you know one of the best excuses someone could have hey I got wounded I lost my vision it didn't didn't slow him down at all he climbed out Mount Rainier he just did amazing things and his attitude of look I'm in a bad place not that bad I'm gonna push on and, and like you said this isn't gonna this isn't gonna stop me from having a great life and 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 getting after it basically yeah yeah so, a couple things uh, I'm glad you brought that up because it there's definitely something to uh, my own recovery during the time where I got there. So it's, it's kind of like I almost had a, a feedback loop on myself. So I got – I was immediately thinking about – even in the blast crater, I was like, my, one of my first thoughts was like my mom's going to be pretty upset about this. And when I woke up in Germany, the one thing that I did was I asked for a, a stupid hat. I, I was like, uh, my squad leader was there, and I said, see if you can find a, a stupid-looking hat that I can wear when I come out of the ambulance so that when my mom sees me for the first time, she'll see this stupid hat, and maybe it'll make her laugh a little bit, you know. Um, but, you know, obviously they didn't find one. <laughs> and um, But I think what happened was I had a, a good attitude in the first week or two and then that kind of set a precedent for myself. And all my friends that came in, all my family that came in saw me with that solid, positive attitude. And that, you know, that gave them hope at the same time. So they had that hope. And then I kind of went on and there was times, you know, they saw me already like that. So if there was ever a time where I was feeling sorry for myself or anything like that, I was like, you know what? My mom, my dad, all these people have already seen me being positive, and if I flip that around, then that's going to hurt them now. And so I have to keep that in mind. So when I'm, it's not really about, it's not only about me. Mm. So 
that forced my that forced me to make sure I maintain my positive attitude because you know they're depending on me, I'm depending on them at the same time. So they're depending on me to stay positive so that they can stay positive. And so it kind of, we kind of fed off uh, each other. And so you know that just kind of snowballed, I guess, until you know here we are. Hmm. Now you get so so you're talking like a month of milkshakes. <laughs> And <laughs> good milk. They weren't mint chocolate chip, but they were good, you know. <laughs> and you're just feeding yourself. You're you're trying to trying to heal up, get the wounds to actually heal. And you're every time you go around, every time you leave your bed, it's a gut check because you gotta, yeah. you know, do the 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 wound draining and all yeah. that other stuff. And then after a month, things are starting to heal up. At what point did you were you able to like get yourself out, get yourself in the wheelchair? I think I was probably after that first, so I was, I spent a week in the ICU, uh, you know, high on morphine. I don't remember much from that, that time period. And then I get to the ward and probably after that first week, maybe 10 days on the main ward, I'd be like, all right, I'm going to try and do this myself guys. And then it took five times the length of time, but I did it. And then from then on, I was doing it on my own. And... So yeah, that and that was kind of the biggest milestone for you know being in the hospital during that healing period uh, was being able to do that, and then so I, and then you know as they slowly took tubes away, mm-hmm. um, and then the final milestone for being in the hospital at that point was when my wounds were finally sutured, closed, mm-hmm. and I got the skin graft. I'd take a skin graft from my left leg and put it on the inside of my right thigh, and once they did that. And that was, they healed that, they checked it out, made sure it was good. Then I was ready to be transferred over to uh, Walter Reed. But I still had stitches mm-hmm. uh, all in my, or staples, staples or stitches, one of the two. And so after that was done, that's when they transferred me over to Walter Reed. And even then I still had to wait for those stitches to come out before I could get fitted for prosthetics. And I was probably in the, the inpatient in the hospital for another two weeks while I waited for a room to open up in the outpatient housing. So it was pretty similar in those first two weeks. I just had the IV line. Mm-hmm. That's all I had. And, you know, I could go out. Are they pumping you with antibiotics the whole time? Or what do they What do they got an IV in you for? Um, Pain medication. Okay. Um, and I think it's probably just a standard that just in case something goes wrong, they can they have quick access. Uh, my buddy Daniel, he had a pick line like straight into his heart. What's that? It's just, I think it's just a, a tube. They just put it straight, put it into your chest. And I guess maybe it's just for quicker access for pain medication. So I'd be in the hospital that first month and, you know, they, they give you the pain button so you can kind of control it yourself. And it'd be funny because they, they, it only meters out so much in an hour. You can hit it like once every five minutes or something. But in the first week I'd be kind of passing out and I whenever I woke up I'd hit it a couple times just to make sure I'm getting that dosage because I was scared like what happens if this pain button goes away like I don't want to face that and so they'd come in after an hour and the nurse would say you know you can only hit this thing once every five minutes like yeah yeah I know I said well you've hit it like 200 times <laughs> the last hour like, oh well you know I just hit it just yeah, to, you know I, I fall of, asleep yeah and so then during that time when you when you were still had like stitches, but and I know we talked about this a little bit, but you had like the triangle thing hanging mm-hmm. above you, where you start doing pull ups and you start trying to do some kind of upper body workout at that time. 
Yeah, I mean, once I got to Walter Reed, I met my physical therapist that day, and we set up the time I was going to come in, uh, 7 o'clock for occupational therapy, 8 o'clock for physical therapy, and we'd be just doing stuff on the mat tables. So you don't have to be wearing legs. You can be working on other stuff while you're waiting for that stuff to heal. So, yeah, I'd be doing kind of dips. I'd raise my, the arms and my wheelchair up really high, and I'd do dips. And, you know, they had stuff you could do, like uh, trunk strengthening exercises. You know, I I wasn't the first double above knee amputee to come through Walter Reed. You mm-hmm. know, we'd been at war for nine years. Mm-hmm. So they had this all these exercises already set up. So I'd come in, I'd do my exercises, you know, legless for the day, and just work on what I could while we waited for that stuff to, while we waited for my skin. And we're just waiting on my skin basically to heal. How did you feel like, how did you feel regaining your strength in your upper body? Were, were you like, were you like back on the gains path? You know <laughs> what I mean? Were you like, okay, I just did, you know, yesterday I did eight pull-ups and today I'm going to do 10 and the next day I'm going to, did you get, did you get yourself right back in like the old school workout mode for? Oh yeah. Uh, just back on the path. Yeah, man. When uh, when I was still in the <laughs> when I was still in the hospital at, at Bethesda, uh, I I would go into physical therapy. But you guys got a pull up bar or anything like that? And then, yeah, we have one. They had one in like a closet. And I was and I so I was like, yeah, I want to do some pull ups. And so I set the pull up record for people that had come through, and it got broken by a seal later. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so yeah, I set that pull up. I was like, let me see. How, I never lost the. The desire to see what I could do, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do a max set of pull-ups and see how many I can do still. But yeah, it was definitely frustrating because I, I was, I lost a lot of muscle mass. But you know, once you start doing those exercises, like every time I came in, I wanted to go at one more or two more or a little bit longer, and I had that same attitude when I started walking. You know, the first day I started walking, I'd maybe stood my legs for two minutes and the next day I was like, you know, I'm going to try three minutes today or last yesterday I walked one time around the little track. I'm going to go twice, you know, just slowly building up and, you know, keep that same. So what's that process like getting, getting, standing up for the first time. What does that feel like? It's wild. I mean, the first thing you got to do is you got to get casted. So they have to make the sockets that go onto your uh, stumps and they do it. uh, They make, they, they wrap this plaster around your stump and they uh, mold it so that it's putting pressure on the right spots and they take that off. They fill it up uh, with some other kind of plaster material. Uh, they take the the cast that they made off and then they pour plastic around that. Mm. So then you have your basically the mold of your leg. And the first time you the first time you step up in it, it's not comfortable at all. It it hurts a lot because you're putting pressure on points that you didn't before, and they kind of have to. So you stand up and you're like, okay, well, there's a spot right back there that hurts a lot. So they take it off and they use this hair dryer, make it hot, and they kind of mold it. They push it out against so it's not against that spot anymore. And then you put it back on. Okay, that's comfortable. And then you do it for the other one. And for me, yeah, I mean, I could, you you can't, I couldn't just walk mm-hmm. from the first try. I had to have my arms on the, on the, uh, the parallel bars. And like it was, you know, that slow thing that you see kind of in, in mm-hmm. movies where I took like maybe 10 steps and that was it for my first time. I walked five and steps is it, out Is back. it like balance or is it, is it bit. musculature? 
like is it you're using different muscles yeah so you definitely you're walking in a different way than your body's designed to so when you walk you just go you know kind of forward and back here with your legs you bend bend at the knee to get it past the uh, ground so it doesn't skip on the ground whereas when you're double above knee amputee uh, you have to swing your legs out to the side at first because you don't have that knee joint. You can't just bring them, you know, forward. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to learn that, and it's a lot of the balance. Your your musculature has to kind of get used to what muscles you're using to keep your balance now. Uh, so that has to be figured out by your you know brain and your spinal cord, and then on top of that, just developing the resistance to the the discomfort. So it's, it's mm-hmm. really not comfortable, and that's kind of probably what... I didn't get tired. Like, I could have stood for longer, but it's just my legs were hurting so just bad. Pain. Yeah, like, you, you could run a mile, or you could run a marathon or whatever, but if you're... If you are if you have a blister on your toe, you know, then that's going to stop you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it seems like the balance thing. Like, sometimes I've hurt my like let's say hurt my ankle or hurt my even something as stupid as hurt like had a big cut on my on the bottom of my foot yeah and so you can't use your foot the way you normally do and it totally throws off your balance and i can't even imagine you're you're now trying to balance through the through the perception of your nerves in your in your stumps yeah and and how that feels and how you got to kind of adjust for that that's got to be like learning how to like ski or something learning how to do a balance type sport surf or something like that i can i can only imagine that that's got to be what it's like to get your brain and like you said your brain and your spinal cord to be able to adapt to what's happening underneath you when you you have a totally new set of sensors down there now yeah and you have to also keep have to keep for a double above knee amputee all this stuff i'm saying is just double above knee Mm -hmm. amputees but uh you're also losing two joints that help with balance so an able-bodied person, they have, if they want to make a small adjustment, they use their ankle, and then they can use the knee, and then they can use the hip. But, you know, double above knee, we all we have is the hip. So it's an extra challenge learning how to make these adjustments with just just your hips. But, you know, it's kind of, it's a lot like a, a dog that has a missing leg. You know, the first time he goes to walk, he kind of just figures it out, and he just learns that new method, and it's kind of, it's pretty much a similar thing. You you know, you adapt to it and you just, you figure it out. And are the first prosthetics that you get, are they articulated or are they just like straight? Cause I know what you've got now is pretty, they look pretty damn advanced to me. Yeah. I mean, as advanced as you can get. Yeah. Um, you're looking like a freaking ter- Terminator robot over there. <laughs> so, but what are you getting at first? Cause is it articulating? Cause. No. Um, so yeah, it's in, in the balance in that realm, they keep you really short while you're relearning that balance because just in case you fall. So while you're relearning that balance, it keep you really short. So basically I could, if I was going to fall, I just put my hand out pretty much and catch myself on the ground. And so while you're relearning this balance, they keep you nice and short because your center of gravity is going to be lower. So it's a lot easier. And then also you kind of learn that hip motion. So they keep you nice and short just to make it a lot easier. And then, as you get better, uh, as you get stronger and, and a little bit better moving around, they make you a little bit taller. But there's no knee joint. It's just uh, you go from your socket, and there's a, a straight cylindrical pylon made out of metal, and that goes to the prosthetic foot. 
and you probably have a shoe on the foot, and then that's it. So you you stay really short uh, for three four months. And at this time, are you already thinking about like what kind of crazy stuff you're gonna do once you figure this <laughs> shit out? <laughs> I once I had found out about the Paralympics, uh, that was probably my first week when I was at Bethesda in the hospital bed, just researching. I wanted to get back in the gym, and I didn't know what I could, what I'd still be able to do in the gym. So I was maybe looking for, I forget what I searched, but like disabled sports or disabled working out or something like that. And I found the Paralympics. And at the time, I wasn't saying to myself, I'm definitely going to commit to going because I didn't know much about it. And I still had this big, I still had to take, you know, a year and a half to relearn how to walk again. That was mm-hmm. numero uno uh, to learn how to do. But yeah, it was kind of in the back of my head. I had found about it and I was thinking about it. That's kind of how things work for me. I, I, the, the idea is impregnated initially. I'm like, hey, okay, that's an interesting idea, you know. Paralympics, okay, that's interesting. I go ride my bike across the country. Okay, interesting. And then I think about it a little bit more and time goes on. I think, yeah, I, I could probably do that, you know. And then eventually I'll get to a point where like, all right, I'm going to do it. And then I commit to it. And so at this point, you know, I hadn't committed to it, but I was researching and, you know, contemplating and figuring out the feasibility and, you know, how I would go about it if I wanted to to try and make the attempt. That seems like that would have a massive positive impact on your mindset. So something that I talk about, and I talked about with Jordan Peterson, and, and he agreed with me on this idea of finding a new mission and having a new mission. So a lot of times, and I'm sure you've seen this too, I've definitely seen it, when guys get out of the military for whatever reason, when they get out, the guys that do well are the guys that have a new mission to go on. And whether it's a new job or whether they're going to be a super dad or whether they're going to go to school and get good grades, those guys do good and in their new mission. The guys that have the most trouble, from what I've seen most of the time, is the guys that don't have a, a new mission. They're, they get out and they say, well, you know, I, I might do this, I might do that, I might do something else, but what they're really doing is nothing. They don't have any real direction, and they end up, you know, what's the mission? The mission becomes have another drink, you know, yeah. uh, do something unproductive, do what feels good immediately, and it becomes problematic. But it seems like the fact that you found something immediately you realize that there was a goal that you could go after even if it was only a a little idea at first yeah that idea can carry you a long way yeah and you know also luckily for me it wasn't like it was it's not like i was in afghanistan one day and then separated the next day i kind of had a mission that was you know it, it came above about by its own because you know i just lost my legs so my first mission was to learn how to walk so i had that right away mm. But, you know, while I was taking that time to do that, I was thinking about, you know, what I'm going to do after I get out. And, you know, every every guy that gets out of the military, you know, most of the time, you know when your contract's going to end, so you can start thinking about it earlier. But it's definitely, you know, I agree with you, having, having something to work towards is uh, hugely important. See, I'll tell you that even what you just said, so there's people that they, they get out and – you're saying, hey, I had this new mission because I had to at least learn how to walk. There's yeah. there's people that they get out and they don't have a new mission and they don't figure one out. 
and that becomes so problematic. And oh, yeah. I, and you know what? Let's not just apply it to the military. I'll, I'll apply this to every human being. Happens yeah. when kids get out of college. Happens when kids get out of high school. Happens when you go through. You know, you've got something that you're looking at or something that you're focused on, and boom, it goes away. Well, now what are you going to do? And if you don't line something up and don't focus on something, you don't take aim at something. Well, then you're not going anywhere. Oh yeah, it's like when you're. You know how you shoot. Do you guys call it table two when you're kind of working on uh, shooting like targets that are right in front of you? We don't call it table okay, two. Okay, we call it table two because table one is kind of the long distance rifle range. Okay. But it's almost kind of like when you're when you're doing that and you they say, okay, shoot this guy twice and that guy twice. So you do that. And then at the end, you scan and make sure there's nobody else around. So right. it's kind of like doing that. Your mission is to shoot the thing, but you also have to be looking out for other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, it's it's funny too because I think about like when you, you think about kids that you grew up with, and like high school, they get done with high school, and there's some kids that okay, I'm gonna go into college, I'm gonna go to military. Yeah, there's some kids that don't know what they're gonna do after high school, and what happens to them? <clears throat> you know, what happens to them? They 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 flounder around. They get a little job here that they don't really like. They do something else they don't really like. You just have to be careful of that. Yeah. You have to be careful. And I'd say as a parent, that's something to look out for too. You know, you got to look out for your kids and make sure your kids have something to focus on, have something that they're striving for. Because yeah. if you don't have anything to strive for, if you're not trying to go anywhere, if you're not on some kind of mission, that's that's problematic. Yeah. And, you know, so since I had that, it, everything I did during the day mattered to me because I had something that was vastly important to me that I was trying to achieve. So if I didn't care about whether or not I walked again, then I could just roll around in my wheelchair and it wouldn't matter if I worked out that day. But since I really, I learned how to walk again and be totally independent and get rid of my wheelchair and all that stuff, be able to run and do everything I was able to do before, that was, you know, the most important thing. And so I fed off that when you know, I didn't feel like going into therapy because I was my back hurt or whatever. And the, you know, whether or not I do that third, fourth set of balance drills or, you know, uh, strengthening exercises, you know, that had an effect on, on that goal. And, and so, and the same thing with going to the Paralympics, you know, I wanted to be able to, to explore that. And so the stuff I was doing in the hospital, it mattered. So this is interesting because uh, we were actually talking about this the other day. So you end up with, and I, again, I'm just trying to break down because obviously you're a person that that can push through pain and suffering and push through short-term uh, challenges in right. order to achieve a long-term goal. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that, the way you break it down is you're looking, even when you're you're suffering from a challenge right now, you're you're you know I don't feel like doing another balance drill because my back is sore or whatever. Yeah. Well, people hit that those kind of obstacles every single day. You know they don't want to get up in the morning, they don't want to work out, they don't want to do the last set, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you had you tie those small term, short term things, the short term pain because you have a long term goal that's yeah. you really care about. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's all a matter of what matters to you most. Uh, you know, is what's more important to you? Learning how, for or for me, learning how to walk again, or staying in bed today. 
you know, staying in bed would be nice. It would feel good. I'd be able to watch. I think what I was watching on Netflix, I was watching 24 of the series at the time on, on Netflix. So I could watch an entire series of 24 today or something. And I could do that, and that would be fun. But at the end of the day, I'm still not going to be any closer to being able to walk again. And I would much rather be able to walk everywhere I went totally independently than find out what happens to Jack Bauer, you know? <laughs> so, and then, you know, at the same time, you know, if – if you're working on, you know, what people like to lose, if you want to lose weight, you know, do you, would you rather have a milkshake, mint chocolate chip milkshake, or would you Easy rather <laughs> a cookie dough milkshake? <laughs> would you rather have that milkshake or would you rather, you know, be able to run 10 miles or not get winded when you're walking with your kids or being playing with your kids? It's like, what, which one matters to you more? And I always pick that bigger one because, I mean, it's it's pretty straightforward for me. Yeah, you, the the delayed gratification is the delayed gratification yeah. versus the instant gratification. Delayed, but much more enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, much more enjoyable. Definitely better, and better for your whole life. Yeah, lasts longer too. By the way. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And enduring, it's an enduring, lasting, longer yeah. lasting, enduring thing that you end up with. Mm-hmm. That's what people need to tap into. That right there. That's good how you have a like a way, like almost like a, I don't want to say scaffolding, but like a way to look at it. Like how you, when you're presented with like an option, you're A, you're conscious of it. B, you have a way to look at it where you're like, okay, which one is important to me? Yeah. Which one? You know, is, is Jack Bauer in 24 important to yeah. me? Or is walking important to me? You know, so most people, they just go on how they feel. You know, oh, I really don't feel like doing this. So I'll do this or I really am in the mood for this. So I'll do it kind of yeah. thing. They don't like kind of in a way break it down like how you do just yeah. just from moment to moment where you'll be like, OK, I have this way to look at it and I'm going to look at it this way and then I can re- or, or behave, you know, yeah. that, that actually is that pretty, that's pretty uh, good way of looking at it. You put it into a binary calculation. Yeah. Right, just yeah. there's two options. Yeah, don't go like. Am I gonna do feel? the thing that's gonna make make me better in the long run, or the thing that's gonna make me worse in the long run, and feels good right now? Which one are you gonna do? If yeah. you just yeah. make that into a binary decision, yeah. But even his makes it is real like easy. so simple. Which one's important to me? And yeah. it's it's almost like a black or white. You know, so which one drives to you? What's yeah. driving your behavior? And then you can even take it another step. Like again, like the uh, losing the weight. Example. Yeah. yeah. You you will either want to have the milkshake or you want to be able to, you know, walk around with the kids. Even if you don't care about, you know, being overweight or you not being able to move your body around. You know, you can still lose the weight by figuring out what. Even if you don't feel like going on a diet, like what is it that necessitates you to go on the diet? And for me, so. I didn't want necessarily to train every day for the Paralympics. I didn't necessarily want to ride my bike every day on my bike ride or run. I didn't necessarily enjoy doing that. I didn't feel like doing it. But I had to do that because my goal necessitated me to do that. So if you're struggling to get motivated to lose weight just for the sake of losing weight, find something that necessitates you to lose weight that really matters to you, like you know, not dying when you're 55 of a heart attack. That'll do it. Um, there's, there's three things that you talked about 
on the last. Well, we talked about them on the last podcast, but I kind of breathed breezed over them, and I and I realized when I listened to it again, I, I should have talked to you a little bit more in depth because I think it's helpful for people to hear again, to hear from you who's overcome incredible challenges. There's three things that you talked about, um, and it's actually in the journal, which you which you, you have a journal online um, on on robjonesjourney.com, but and this is there as well, but. Number one, number one is writing down goals. Number two is celebrating milestones. And number three is overcoming rationalization. So let's just break those down a little bit. How strict were you with writing down your goals? And do you still do that? Um, I don't, I guess I don't physically you know, have a pen and paper and write it down. I think what I do now is I'll announce it or something like that. Or I'll, t- I'll make it known that that's what I'm planning on doing. Check. So when I decided to do my marathon challenge, I did it on Facebook or something, or I put it on all my social media platforms, and then it's out there. Now, okay, now I'm responsible so you're for be- it. So this is beyond writing it down. Yeah, this, this is, is like, like writing it down and announcing it. it to the world. Yeah, or telling people that you want to have the respect of. Like if I told my wife, Pam, like I am going to do this, and she – she knows I'm a person that she respects me for living up to what I say I'm going to do. I don't want to lose her respect. Mm-hmm. So now I'm even, even though I would have done it regardless, I'm not, I'm not saying I would have said I would do it and then fall out or back out. I, you know, the mission, even if the mission became not important to me, there's another, another aspect of that, you know, you, you've committed to it then. So that's another aspect of my personality where not only do I want to, help veterans, but now I've committed to something. I said I'm going to do it, and I've given my word. And now there's people that are kind of relying on me to, to do that. And if I if I say I'm going to do it, then I say, oh, never mind. I actually am <laughs> not going to do it. Yeah, then yeah. they're actually losing a little bit of hope maybe because they were, they were hoping I was going to do it and they were going to get something out of it. And now, now they're, they're, I'm not doing it, so they're kind of losing that, that benefit. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, so it's beyond writing it down. It's writing it down and announce it, announcing it. Celebrating milestones. Yeah, so it's really hard to stay motivated when there's this obscure goal that is two years away or a year and a half away and you're not really seeing huge progress towards it every day. You're getting like a millimeter every day. Um, it gets old. You know, you feel really motivated in the beginning, right? Cause you're pumped up and you have tons of energy. And then when you, and at the end you can see it, you can smell the barn and you can see it. So you, you find the extra energy in your, in yourself. But in that, that middle part where you're not, you're not even sure that you're going to be able to do it. And it's so far away and you're like, man, I'm, I'm only like halfway and I still have, I've done all this stuff and now I still have to do all that again. Um, it helps to f- pick stuff along the way that you know is going to uh, to be there. That kind of you know, all, all right, I'm not, I'm going for that far away thing, but right now I'm going to that, and that's what excites me. So when I was in the hospital, getting in the wheelchair was my first little milestone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a year, and I didn't even know how long it was going to take me to learn how to walk again. Right. At least it, I was thinking a year and a half, two years. You know, that's a long time and with a lot of work in between. So, all right, right now, just get into the wheelchair. And then, all right, well, 
learn how to do it on your own. And then after that, get your legs and then figure out how to walk with only one cane instead of two canes keeping you up and then drop the other cane. And that's another milestone. And then you get your bionic knees. And so you probably go back to the canes for a while. And then when you have those, you take away that cane and then take away the other one. And then you learn how to run. And then you learn how to do ride the bike or whatever. So you just keep finding little things along the way. And, you know, when I was doing, when I was training for triathlons, I do this on a small scale. I would have eight two minute all out sprints on my bike to do. And I'd be sitting there on the first one. And I'm like, oh my God, I have eight of these to do. The first one would just blow me up. I'm like, oh my God, I have seven more. And I would just be like, you know what? Just focus on this next one. Just do this one. And then we'll focus on the next one after that. And then so just, and I would even trick myself sometimes. I'd be like, all right, I'd be on my sixth one. I'd be so tired. I'm like, all right, you know what? If I can maintain this speed, or if I can maintain my power, maintain my power output for this entire seventh one, I'll skip the eighth one. But I'll treat myself. I'll skip the eighth one. And I do the seventh one. I'd be like, all right, I'll just do the eighth one. Cause <laughs> you know, I, I do that sometimes to trick too. myself, yeah. you know, it works. So it works. yeah. So it's interesting. So what you've talked about, there's a dichotomy in these, in this thing. And I've talked about this before. I've talked about before multiple times. Uh, I don't even know if I've talked about the, po- I must talk about it on the podcast, but I've talked, I talk about it with people, which is, you have long range stuff and you have short range stuff. Mm-hmm. And what you have to do is you have to put the, both those in your mind and you have to shift the focus back on for, back and forth between the two to whichever one is gonna get you moving. Yeah. Because when the goal is too far away, you're like, ah, you know what, it's not gonna really make a difference if I skip this thing today. It's yeah. not that big of a deal. Yeah. The goal is too far away, it gets blurry. And, and so what you need is you need to put, okay, just, I'll just do the short goal. Yeah. Well, after the daily grind beats you down on the short goal, you start to forget what the long-term goal is, and you go, ah, you know what, I don't, I don't really need to do this workout today, or I don't need to do, I can eat this food, or I can do whatever, because it's not gonna make a big impact on the long, th- you know, I, what am I doing anyways? Yeah. Then you gotta look back at the long goal, and that's right, I have this, this thing that I'm trying to make happen, and it's these small goals that are gonna get me there. So, you gotta shift, you gotta have both the long-term goal, that's gotta be something that you really want to achieve, you gotta understand why, you know, like oh, you yeah. said, you got to understand why it is you want to achieve it. You can't just be something that you don't care about. And then you got to have that as your primary driving force. But your secondary driving force, which is equally important, is these short-term things that you can get to that are there, that are close, that are you can achieve. Even if it's two minutes. Even if it's, I did Tabata, uh, Tabata on the air bike the other day. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> Yeah, I was there. I was like, you know, and my daughter was there. My wrestle, my daughter that wrestles, she was there, and so she's kind of like calling me out, but but in a positive way. She's <laughs> yeah, like yeah, a positive yeah. person. Yeah, right? you're hype man. Yeah, yeah she was For hyping sure. me, yeah. and I put out hard because she was there going, "Come on!" You know what it's like when your your daughter's going, "Come on, dad!" Yes, push harder. You're like, "Oh, awesome!" Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna get some. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to die. I had the blo- you know, you know the blood taste in your mouth. You know, oh, that copper taste. Yeah, that yeah, copper taste. Yeah, yeah, whatever that thing is. So I had some of that going on. But <laughs> but yeah, you have the short term and you have the long term goals. You got to have them both, and you got to they've got to be attached somehow. But you got to lean on which one is going to get you to do what you know you're supposed to do. You know you're supposed to do. That's a little psychology behind just getting after it. Yeah. Right. Yes. There's a little psychology behind just getting after it. Little head games. Echo and I were talking the other day, and he was all he was kind of surprised because I was talking about there's there's one workout 
that I do, which is it's I it's my hardest and most brutal workout, and it's in it's in the field manual. But it's a twenty rep squat. You do you do you take a weight that you can squat ten times, and you do it twenty times. <laughs> And like after rep 12 every single rep is just it just it's un, it's pain and Then you do that and then you lay on the floor for 20 minutes And then you get up and you do it again and you lay on the floor for 20 minutes and you get up and do it again So it's three sets in one hour. It's a one-hour workout But I was telling echo I was like yeah There's times where I'm in the middle of like set two and I'm on rep 14 and I'm like I don't even I don't even think I want to be strong. I don't want to be strong. I don't, I don't even care if I'm healthy. I just want to. I just want to. Just this is this is horrible. Why would I be doing this right now? Relief. This is stupid. Yeah, relief. Any kind of relief. But but actually, what gets me to push through those is I think to myself, "Oh, you hear that? That's actual weakness in your mind right now. Actual yep. living weakness gets yeah. a voice in your mind right now. Are you going to listen to it?" Are you yep. going to listen to it? No, you're not going to listen to it. Are you doing them straight through or are you taking yes. breaks? That's, it's, it's an old school workout that I originally got from, well, there's a book called Super Squats. Oh. Get some. <laughs> there's a book called Super Squats. If, and that book has this workout. But actually, that book only has, you do one set. You do one set. I was the idiot that thought to myself, well, if one set is good, how about I do three sets of that? And it's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. yeah. And it's, once you think of it, it's like, well, I have to do it now. Yeah. No, that's another thing. That's another thing I say is, is you know, if you don't really feel like working out, okay, that's fine. Write down what you're going to do and then just do it. Just, just turn off your brain and just do what you're supposed to do. Just put yeah. the numbers down and do what you're supposed to do. You're not every day is all happy you know, this is great. I yeah. feel myself getting stronger. <laughs> no, I feel like I'm gonna puke. That's not cool. <laughs> but that's good. That's like a like kind of like you're talking about how if you go by how you feel every day, like I feel like doing this, or I'm yeah. feeling motivated, I'm feeling where just like you're saying, Rob, where you you are in the habit of looking at it a certain way, like what's important to me. Kind of how you feel is kind of shuffled to the side. It's yeah. Like what's important. Okay, now I'm gonna get moving. Yeah, feelings yeah, are not not valid. Generally, not a good thing to rely on to make things. The yeah, way to, to rely generally on, not a good. But thing. it can trick you though. You know how like just like how you're saying in the beginning. You know when you first decide to do something. Oh, yeah. You know like New Year's New Year's resolution, whatever. You know like it's a real common thing. We're at the beginning, exciting. Let's start this new thing, and then at the end it can be because you see the goal right there. We're about to do it. You know yeah. kind of thing. But in the middle. It's like, yeah, so feeling can, I don't want to say, yeah, you're, you're right. Don't rely on it, but it can trick you because in the beginning when you have that feeling like you want to, it's like, it's almost like you think it's going to be there the whole time. Yeah. You know, yeah, this no, new thing, not. this is the new thing for me. I'm, yeah. I've never felt any uh, like this about anything I've ever done. I'm excited about this one. Then it goes away and then you're like, oh, and you we're, not, have, we're not doing that anymore. You always have that energy at the end, like of, uh, I bet like the, the last Oh, one yeah, of that yeah, Tabata yeah. that you did was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the last you, one. And it's like, well, where was all that energy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's 14. like, have you guys ever heard of the central governor theory of fatigue? No. no well, it's no, basically no. about, it's a different, so, see if I can do this without making it super long. There's two different. We got eight hours <laughs> of recording time. <laughs> There's two different 18. theories on how your body, um, I guess, processes fatigue or what it exactly it is. 
And so there's the, I think it's called the catastrophic theory, where basically you're doing your Tabatas and something breaks down and then like uh, you run out of energy, you totally deplete yourself of glycogen or whatever, and then you you can't because you don't have any more glycogen, so your muscles just don't work. And then there's this other theory, which is kind of the accepted theory now, that your brain has a governor in it, and it's it's getting all this information from your muscles and your senses. All it's getting all this information. It's calculating how much energy it meters out. Mm. And so when you're doing your Tabatas, the first one you have all sorts of energy. So your brain's like, go, and it's connected to your subconscious, and your conscious are kind of connected. So you kind of know how many sets you do, and your brain actually calculate that calculates that into its how, how it decides to do this. So that first one, you're like, oh, tons of glycogen available to me, so I can just blow through this first one. And then as you go, uh, your 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 brain's getting the signals that you're run you're running out of glycogen. Maybe the calcium to contract the muscles is kind of getting low, and mm. so it kind of dials you back uh, automatically by contracting less muscle fibers. And so you kind of get, and it makes you feel fatigued. So they say that fatigue is actually, uh, fatigue and pain are actually emotions. So it makes you feel these emotions. Fatigue is a lie. (laughs) (laughs) So it makes you feel this and it kind of dials you back. And then on that last one, you know that this is your last one. So it's like, all right, well, we're done after this. So I'm going to let it go. And then. So yeah. that's the theory. So it's yeah, kind of that. It's, it's kind of, but so there, there's this thing called the gold. I think I told you this Golgi tendon. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. Golgi tendon organ. Yeah. It's yeah. a little regulator. Mm-hmm. And they're essentially like clusters of nerves that go in. And so this is more like high intensity. Like I'm going to do a two rep, one rep, two rep, three yeah. rep, or whatever, max. So that's regulated by your brain. So when you get too much stress on your muscle, your brain says, hey, that's too much stress. Yeah. We're going to stop the muscle contraction or let off usually it stops it that's why if you go for a two rep max one rep max you can get it here and then you just boop and it fails you fail Mm -hmm. but if you can get if if it doesn't fire you go and you'll push you'll push sometimes you'll pause you know and you can still put like why did you just fail the other time you know what i mean yeah it's that so um and then if you go to lower intensity stuff then it goes more into the glycogen like you ever seen um like a marathon runner or You know, some real long, like, I don't know, an obstacle course or something where the guy's like mentally, you can tell he's he's not going to quit. Yeah. But his legs are like shivering and shaking and he it's like he's almost like he's going to pass out or something like that. Yeah. It's, it, so that's more that that's like your physical capability, the energy, the physical energy system is failing. That's, yeah. you know, so that's a different thing. So it's funny though, because you, you know, like, I'm sure when you were in boot camp or going through buds, like, you, you, how many push ups are you going to do? You're just going to keep doing push ups. Yeah. Yeah. You, you literally just keep doing push ups and 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 push ups. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you lay there for on flat on your face for like 20 seconds, but then they say keep going. And so you yeah. just keep going. And then you, you keep going for a little while and then you lay on your face for a little while and then you keep going. Like, you can just keep going more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless you get to that. Now, sometimes on like a run, someone would pass out, and right. like that would be that. Yeah. So what's that? So, yeah, that's, that's, your, that's well. That's according like, to this, there would be your your brain basically shuts you. So you see somebody running at the end of a marathon, and they're like, mm. and they, they their legs aren't working. That's kind of their body 
they've been able to somehow push through all the pain and all that stuff. They've been able to, they've been motivated to push through. And then finally your body gets to a point that if we keep going, we are going to die. So I'm shutting you down and it just hits the, hits the shutdown button and yeah. then your legs just stop where it just, it will just stop contracting your muscles. Yeah. Or I don't remember how we got on this subject, but. Yeah, pushing through. Pushing through. Pushing through, through. yeah. Pushing yeah. through. But it's like the engine is still going, but the fuel doesn't get to the engine. So the engine starts, you know, yeah, like in, in those marathon situations. Yeah. But in like a higher intensity stuff, it's it seems like, anyway, given what I what I know about the Golgi tendon organ yeah. situation. It seems like you, you're a Golgi tendon expert. Yes, but well, here, this is, this is when I really, I learned about it in college, but when I tore my bicep. You know, uh, you know, guys that. will lift real hard and just tear their muscle off their yeah. bone. Yeah. Because when you train heavy, you're training to, to, um, to what do you say, to mitigate the effects of the Golgi tendon, or that's what, or like huge rushes of adrenaline will do it too. You know, uh, you hear yeah, the story yeah. about the the lady; she saw the car lift the car off, off the kid, off whatever. the kid. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. basically, you're just bypassing the Golgi tendon organ because of these extreme situations. Yeah. Um, but by nature, try lift up a car, you kind of can't. And the same, I mean, the band, <laughs> you know, the <laughs> well, you know, most of us can't. Um, you but, kinda can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're doing like a one rep max, like you ever. When you test for that, you see it all the time where, you know, the guy, let's say, I don't know, he does 355, right? Yeah. Like he, even there's like a pause because he's pushing so hard and he's barely, and he, and he gets it. Put on 360, five pounds more, he gets it like a quarter of the way up and it just falls on his chest, yeah. you know, because it fires and boom, muscles shut down. That's what that is. Yeah. And when you're doing the heavy, you're also teaching, you're kind of teaching your body to, like you, most people can only contract 30% of their muscles at one time because their brain yeah. doesn't let them. Because if it, they contracted all of your muscle fibers at the same time, it could produce an injury. Yeah. So when you lift heavy, your brain is kind of learning, all right, I can I can contract this yeah. many. Oh, okay, now I can contract this many. And like yeah. the best people still can only contract like 50% yeah. of their, their muscle fibers. Like Olympic lifters. <laughs> yeah, that's like- Because they're just- yeah. yeah, exactly. Or like Such. really heavy power lifters. Yeah. So- now on the on the last podcast we talked about the Paralympic rowing so and we talked about you biking across across the country again which is from Maine to San Diego and when and again if people want to people should go listen to those on on podcast 92 and but but when you were on last time you were talking about your latest announcement your latest goal that you had written down and announced to everybody which was that you were going to run 31 marathons in 31 days, which is just kind of um, a little bit psycho. <laughs> and actually you wrote down, I'm gonna read this excerpt from your, from your uh, online journal. Here we go, back to the journal. I can't, this is an expression that is vilified in our minds beginning at a young age. Every time a young child announces this decision, they are corrected. The first adult that hears it asks them whether or not they have even tried. Generally, this confrontation will result in the child giving their task another attempt until their attention span moves on to something else. The adult will see this and chuckle to themselves with knowledge that this is just a child who has yet to learn the art of art and virtue of perseverance. By the time this child comes of age, however, they will have been told by adults more times than they could count that there is no such thing as can't. It is interesting then to think about how many adults seem to proclaim this expression in their lives. 
It is because, is it because like many things that adults tell children, they are simply telling the child a general rule that the child must follow, but can be broken once one is grown? Or is it because these adults are simply repeating what they were told as children without thoroughly examining what the phrase, I can't, truly suggests? If you confronted an adult that claims they can't do something with the same question about whether or not they have tried, the answer will almost always be yes. Adults have learned enough to know that it is unreasonable to say they can't until they have at least tried once. Therefore, the real question that we should be asking in response is, have you tried everything? Have you exhausted every possible option, scenario, combination, tool, and approach? I do not simply refer to the ones that you knew of at the time you decided to undertake your task. I mean, have you re- also researched possibilities that you had known about? Have you determined whether or not there is another person out there that has performed the exact same task you are attempting or at least something similar? Have you exhausted this research? Have you read every book, blog, journal, magazine, bathroom stall, and website? If the answer to any of these questions is no, then go back and try again. Because if you don't, because you don't truly know if you can do something until you've tried absolutely everything. The fact of the matter is that rarely, if ever, is the answer to all these questions yes. Therefore, what is it that people actually mean when they say, I can't? A more accurate but more verbose way of saying it would be, I don't care about or want enough this task or the resultant benefits of it in order to do all that is necessary to achieve it. I was told countless numbers of times by people during my month of marathons that they couldn't run one marathon, let alone 31 straight. Every now and then when I had time, I would discuss what they'd said. We would jointly conclude that if something they cared about and depended on them doing so, it would be possible. The most common example I used was, if someone had a gun to your child's head, do you think you could do it then? Therefore, the phrase, I can't, denotes a lack of investment as opposed to a lack of potential or ability. I do not mean to say that every person I had this conversation with should have had the motivation to run marathons. It was something that I had decided to do, not them. I merely wanted to express to them what I am expressing here. Given the right purpose and enough time, you can what happens if someone has said they can't we have asked them if they've done everything and the rare cases happen and they honestly say yes do we concede that then they can't nope if everything in existence has been attempted enough to determine that it won't work then congratulations you've been awarded the honor of being the person who must invent the method or the tool, or determine the right combination. Whether or not you will, once again, boils down to how much you care and time. It may end up being that a person ends up trying for their entire life, but I suggest removing the phrase, I can't, from your lexicon and replacing it with, I can't yet. Do this so that you don't risk being on your deathbed saying, 
I didn't. So. Yeah, and I don't mean to, like, if somebody comes up and says I can't do something, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to, you know, I, I know what they're really saying. Um, and I don't, I'm not going to judge them. I, mean, I don't care if you, if you don't care about this thing, it doesn't matter to me. But uh, you should just be a little bit more accurate in what you're saying. You know, I, I'm not like if you if you say I can't run a marathon, that's fine. That's fine. You don't you don't want to run a marathon. You don't yeah. care about running. It doesn't matter to you, and that's your personal choice. You know, but uh, to say that you can't do it, having never even attempted it, uh, is just not an accurate statement. <laughs> so where'd you get the idea to attempt 31 marathons in 31 days? So. Uh, and after my bike ride, I tried to make the Paralympics for a triathlon and I did not succeed. I failed in that attempt, but with every failure, there is a lesson learned. And I learned when I was training for a triathlon that I was pretty good at running. I was able to run the 5k triathlon, uh, 5k distance at the end of the triathlon in 18 minutes flat, which is pretty fast. That's, that's maxing out the Marine Corps PFT. You can't get any faster than that. And so... It's pretty fast, so I, I and I, I realized, you know, I, I'm, I have a decent, uh, decent talent for running, and I had run the Marine Corps Marathon the year before, and I, so I knew that I could run a marathon, and I was just kind of, you know, after this failed attempt to make the Paralympics, just kind of thinking about what my next mission could be, and I wanted to do another thing like my bike ride, and I had heard about other people doing this kind of thing where they do you know, 50 marathons in 50 days in 50 states or 50 Ironmans in 50 days in 50 states. So, you know, I decided I wanted to do marathons um, and I kind of put my own little spin on it. And I said, well, you know what? I want to get this story in front of as many eyeballs as I can. So to do 50 or to do 31 marathons straight in my backyard isn't really going to do that. So I need to do – I could go down to the trail every day for 31 straight and do it and nobody would ever care and nobody would ever find out about it. And it would be the same amount of – it would be just as impressive to do. Um, and so, I, all right, I want to get this in front of as many eyeballs as possible. So I need to do it in major cities where there's a lot of people that can find out about it and spread it that way. And so I figured, all right, I'll take that same formula and do 31 marathons in – all in different cities. And I picked 31 because I was trying to figure out a good number. So I, I, I started with the 20 number, which is the number associated with number of veteran suicides every day. I figured that'd be a pretty powerful number. But after thinking about that, I kind of figured it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough marathons in a row. And I figured by the time more marathons in a row. <laughs> by the time I got started with that, I'd be and by the time I got kind of some momentum going, it'd pretty much be over. And so I didn't figure to have it as big an impact. So I wanted to do more. So I was like, well, what about fifty? And so I was like, well, okay, fifty. I could probably do it if I trained enough for it. But fifty might be too many. It might be too long. So by the time I started getting going. And then I, you know, I'm at 40. I still have 10 more. People are going to kind of maybe lose interest and be like, oh, is that guy still doing that? Because I found out about the Iron Cowboy doing his 50 Ironmans in 50 days. And I kind of had that same thing where I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I was following him for the first couple of weeks. And then eventually I'm like, oh, 
is he still, is he even finished it? Oh, wow. And I kind of lost interest. So I'm like, all right, well, what if I just did it for a month? I think people could probably pay attention for a month and will really be interested for a month before they really move on. It's like, all right, month. Okay, month of marathons and the longest month is 31. So <laughs> I picked 31. And I have to say, when you know you're doing, you know what you're doing is hard when you come on Jocko podcast and he says, <laughs> this is insane. And Jocko Willink says something is insane. You know, it's it's the right level of intensity. So <laughs> what kind of miles did you put in to get ready for it? And how long did you train for it? Um, my total, I trained about 18 months Damn. for this specifically. And I say that knowing that I had been an athlete training just about twice a day every day for five years at the time. So I had that huge history of being an athlete to begin with. And then on top of that, I put the 18 months of training specifically for this. And so the way it would work would be I would run, I would do six week, a six week block uh, where I'm, where I was applying a certain stress. And so my first six week block would be, I was just basically just working on getting long distance. Cause when I was running triathlons, I only ever did you know, 5k max. So I was, I would run an hour. I'd probably run three times a week. Um, would be an hour, 90 minutes and another hour. And they'd be spaced out by a couple days. So I do six weeks of that. And then I would do a little test block. And my first test block was running the Marine Corps marathon again. So there's one marathon. And then I do another six week chunk where I would change the stress and make it a little bit harder. So I would do, I would either run a little bit longer uh, on my really long run for the week, or I would block them together, maybe like run an hour and a half Wednesday and then run an hour Thursday and kind of change up the the blocking. And after that six weeks, I would do again, and I would do two marathons. And the first time I attempted two marathons, I actually failed. I did, I couldn't, I ran the first one the next day. I ran maybe half a marathon and I, and I quit. I was like, I had you already said you were going to run 31 marathons? When yeah. That at this point. Oh, yeah. That's reassuring. Yeah, so I was like, <laughs> all right. But I kind of knew. I, so 31 or two. Or two, yeah, like two. Well, I told my <laughs> friends, I was like, yeah, I tried to run two, and I didn't. They were like, <laughs> but I. What was, the, what was the failure based on? Um, I didn't need enough uh, the day before. So the re- part of the reason I was doing these test blocks was figuring out, first of all, pacing, you know, good way, diff- different ways to pace it to make sure I didn't blow up. And then figuring out how much I needed to eat and figuring out, you know, what it was going to feel like. And so that first time I attempted two, I didn't need enough carbs uh, the day, uh, you know, after that first marathon. So I was just totally depleted Mm -hmm. the next day. So I was like, okay, I didn't, it wasn't a lack of willpower or a lack of kind of ability at that time. It was just my approach at that time wasn't... uh, wasn't right. So I was like, okay, I didn't really panic about that because I knew, I kind of knew what happened. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, all right. And so I go and then I do six and, and I t- kind of just repeated that for the year and a half where a six week chunk and I just change it, block them together a little bit more, run longer. And then I tried three marathons and I succeeded and it was pretty easy. Uh, not easy, but you know, it's, I was like, all right, feasible. Three. it became yeah, feasible. Like, all right, three. Yeah. I, I don't feel that bad, you know? And then I did another six week and changing the stress again, longer and blocked together more. I ran five. I was like, all right, five. Okay. And I would mess around with the different, 
uh, different pacing strategies, different ways of breaking up the mar- each marathon, uh, taking breaks and that kind of thing, and eating different foods just to see how that I would react to that. And then after five, I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm not going to do any more than five because if I do more than five, I'm just going to want to keep going. Mm-hmm. I don't really want to. So five was enough. I felt really good after five. And then after that, I just kind of trained through for maybe three more months, but I kept every six weeks, I kept adding more mileage until I think the last 12 weeks I was running a marathon every Thursday. Hmm. And, and how many total miles were you putting in a week? In that last 12 weeks, probably 60. Like my, my, you know how they say a deadlift starts at 135 pounds, mm-hmm. you know? Like my runs would start at two hours. You know, I wouldn't do anything less than two hours. And then, yeah, I would do that marathon on Thursday and I would run two hours the day before and two hours the day after. And the reason I was doing that was just get, just run a marathon so many times leading up to it that the thought of running one marathon isn't really, it's just normal. It became normal to me. And so I was trying How to get that How long would it mental. take you of running to, to run a marathon at the pace, at your sustained 31-day pace? At my sustained, it was interesting. So, Were you running like eight-minute miles, nine-minute miles? Usually it would, it would be between 8.30 and nine-minute miles. And it was interesting because in the summertime, I was running like a four-and-a-half-hour marathon of total running time. And so all the predictions I put on my website were like, oh, I'm probably going to finish in about this amount of time. But I have, that was during the hot and humid summer in Virginia. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I was doing this, it was in the fall time, so I was actually able to run faster. And people would come out and say, what the heck? You, <laughs> you said you're going to be running like 10-minute marath- miles, then you're running 830s or, eight, or nine minutes. And it was kind of it was what else was interesting was I figured my first marathon would be I'd be fresh and that would be my fastest marathon. And so that was in London. It was about four hours roughly of running time with breaks. I would take three 20 minute breaks, four hours of running time. And then it kind of did follow that trajectory where Philadelphia, New York and Boston were a little bit slower, mm-hmm. like four Oh five, four, fifteen, somewhere in there, and then after I got there, I actually started getting faster. So the next, all the way into Chicago, my fastest one, my was my tenth one in Chicago was three fifty, and of running time, and then after that, it kind of just leveled off, and I'd be, I'd usually be going somewhere between three fifty and four hours. The human body is amazing. Yeah, and <laughs> all this amazing. stuff that I've been able to adapt to, and even I still wasn't able to predict that. I would actually get faster. I, I didn't expect that. And so, th- I mean, this goes to show you that the body can adapt to even more than you think. What are the biggest challenges of regular running and running with prosthetics on? So, yeah, one of the th- one of the things I had to figure out was one of the things I learned in the, my first and second Marine Corps marathon was that I needed to figure out how I was going to prevent skin breakdown. Right. So prevent... I would run after my first marathon I ran and then I took my legs off and it was just blood. I'd like take the liner off and just blood just shot everywhere. And it wasn't all blood, but it was like kind of blood mixed with sweat. Right. I was like, Oh my god, what did I do to myself? <laughs> did I I was I was scared. I was like, did I you know, mess up my skin graft? Is that thing because those things can be kind of sensitive. 
and it ended up just being a little blister, like or a little. I rubbed the skin off, and it's like a size of that big. Mm. But I knew if I did, I ran again the next day. That's going to get bigger, and that's going to totally derail the whole thing. So I had to figure out a way that I could avoid getting like my skin rubbing off. And so I started messing around. I wear these things called liner liners that kind of wick the sweat. They kind of collect the sweat to mm-hmm. to help with uh, clamminess. And so usually I would put those on, and they would go all the way around the end of my stump. It'd be like a sock on the end. So what I did was I cut that off at the end and so it's kind of basically like a kind of like a rash guard on my thigh mm-hmm. and it wouldn't go down to the end of the stump mm. so i cut that off and why didn't you want it to go down to the end so what my theory was it's kind of a cloth it's a cloth material so what i figured was and the and the liner itself is a silicone and i didn't figure that the silicone would be creating a whole lot of friction so what i figured was maybe that little liner liner you know, as comfortable as it was, uh, was it was still fabric, so it was probably just you know, forty thousand steps, mm-hmm. still rubbing the skin off. So like, all right, so I'll cut that off and see what happens. And that was good, but it still didn't fix everything. So what I ended up doing was, I uh, you know, for my cycling experience, I'd use chamois cream on my on your butt, you know, to help prevent saddle sores. It's like, well, maybe I'll take the chamois cream and put it on these spots that I know tend to get rubbed. So I. I would goop up. I would just take a huge goop and just slather it on there, and uh, and that seemed to fi- that fixed it pretty good. Awesome. And so I was like, all right. So I figured that method out. So that's one of the things is trying to figure with running with prosthetics is figuring out how to avoid that skin breakdown. Um, and that's kind of numero uno because that can. I mean, you can be as strong as you want, but if your skin, if you can't put your leg on because the skin hurts so much then all that strength it does doesn't matter so so what'd you do with your diet were you just pounding calories i mean just eating everything in sight yeah so i approached my diet a little bit differently than most you might expect for marathons i did a low carb diet well what would be a low carb for this kind of thing mm-hmm. so i was using this in all my training and all my pacing and all my eating i did this thing called the mafetone method and it's basically this guy phil mafetone figured that you should do all your training at an aerobic level. So he figured out this through experience. He calculated your – he came up with an equation to calculate your maximum aerobic heart rate. It was 180 minus your age. And then there's other little uh, adjustments you can make to that. So my mafetone heart rate was 149. And so I ca- I'd never ran anything over 149. So you you on a heart rate monitor all the time? Yeah, I had a, a TomTom watch. Uh, and I had one and then my wife has one. So I had two on when I was running my marathon just in case one messed up. And so I ran all my, all my training and all my marathons were run at as close to that 149 heart rate. And what it does is trains, instead of like making you strong, your muscles stronger, it actually trains your cardiovascular efficiency. So when you start out, you'll be running at 149 heart rate and you'll be pretty slow. But as you do that more, your heart and lungs will become more and more efficient. So eventually, you'll be running at that same 149 heart rate, but you'll be running twice as fast because right. you're becoming more efficient. So I just approached it like that, or I, 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 I kind of figured it'd be better to do it that way because the more glycolysis and the more carbohydrates you use, the more your body's going to have to – they're more destructive uh, to your body. 
So I'm like, well, in order to be able to run these, I have to run them at a maintainable pace and in a, in a maintainable way. I can't just go out and run as fast as I can every single one. I had to pace it. And so I figured that's how I was going to pace it, uh, keeping my heart rate under 150, not using those carbs. And so that also allowed me to be able to eat just really high fat. Um, I think I had between 150 and 175 grams of carbs a day. And that's what I limited it to. And then I would eat, uh, during the run, I would eat three bonk breaker bars, one at each of my breaks. And they're just like these little energy bars. And that would keep me going. That would be my kind of a lot of carbs there. So that would kind of keep me going during the run. I would just drink water whenever I got thirsty. And then after I ran, we had pre-made these, pre-made all my meals and we just made this super calorie dense cheese and meat sauce that we froze. <laughs> we put it all in the freezer and it was just the densest, you know, the calorie densest stuff you could probably like, you know, con- whole containers and cream and cheese and all this stuff. So <laughs> super dense. And my mom would heat up uh, a bowl of that for me. And I would take a bag of pork rinds and put that in the chili and mix that in there and Gets eat the off. whole thing. And before, a lot of the times before, before I even ran, I would eat another bag of pork cracklings. So I'd have two bags of pork rinds, this big-ass bowl of meat sauce and cheese sauce. And then I would eat uh, some sweet potato chips, things like that. If somebody brought us donuts, I'd have a donut, you know, um, <laughs> we have issues with that violation. <laughs> Pork rinds good, donuts no. If people if people could see what just happened to Jocko's eyes when I say I didn't don't <laughs> thought he was gonna come across. Um so I'd eat that and then at the for dinner I'd eat uh eggs and bacon. And the whole time you're you got an RV because you did this in thirty one different cities. Yeah. You started off in London and then you flew back to America mm-hmm. and then started the grind. New York, Chicago, just going around the country. Yep. And you, your wife and a little support team was in the RV? Yep. So it was four of us. It was uh, Pam, my what wife. What kind of RV did you have? Um, Coachman Murata, I think. Get some. It's like a 35. Do you have an RV? Oh, I do. <laughs> you, you have a 35-footer, thir- huh? Yeah, it was a Class A 35-foot, king-size bed in the back. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Um, don't you sleep good in RVs? I don't as know. long as you're not moving. <laughs> I don't know why I sleep like a baby in RVs. I slept well, but it's it's not totally comfortable when you're driving down the highway at sixty. Yeah, it's well, pretty bouncy back there. And yeah. actually, it it made it. This is something I didn't expect. Was it made it kind of hard to eat being in the back? So I'd be, I'd have to eat all this stuff, and by the uh, being in the back of that RV for five six hours, I would start to get a little bit. My yeah, well, being in the back of an RV is a lot more bouncy than being in the front. Oh, yeah, big time. That's a, you're that's behind a, the axle and there's so much weight. Yeah, uh, yeah. so it would be Pam, my wife, team leader. Uh, she drove some. She drove a lot. Uh, any, pretty, I wasn't even. I wasnn't really in charge of the You were just run. The day-to-day, yeah, my you job just be was. be quiet and run. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> run when I needed to run, when I needed to do interviews, run my mouth, oh. you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. do that. And then that was it pretty much. And then, but Pam, she was doing everything, you know, driving, uh, setting up, scheduling all my interviews, working with these reporters that are like, oh, we want to do this at 630. Can we make that happen? She scheduled it in. And then 
calling ahead to the venues that we had decided to to run at, mm-hmm. you know, squaring that away. Okay, where can we park? We're coming now. Um, and there's probably so many other jobs that I didn't even know about that she was doing. Um, and then, you know, just taking on a, a boatload of stress for her. And then um, my mom would, she'd be kind of Pam's assistant. She'd be in charge of kind of keeping me fed and, and hydrated during when I was running, making sure I didn't need anything. And then afterwards, she would make my meals. And then one of her most important jobs was she's a massage therapist, so she'd give me two massages every day uh, after I ran while we were driving to the next place. And then I also had a driver who uh, who did most of the driving, and then he uh, he just kind of helped out around the uh, the RV. Like whenever Pam needed him to do something. He would do it. What kind of people joined you on the runs? I know you said you were telling me yesterday some some Royal Marines in England. Oh yeah, uh, joined you. That's we got it awesome. out there. I mean, tons of military. Um, if I had to categorize, I mean, it just people people from all walks of life. You know, ultra runners would find out about it, and people that ran, people that didn't even run would come out. Uh, a lot of military. Um, I would say fifty percent of the people though that came out. I'd say. How'd you hear about this? They say Jocko podcast. <laughs> no bullshit That's awesome. there. They, 50, at least 50% of them. That's killer. Um, the troopers are not playing around. Yeah, no. They're there to support. <laughs> they were doing major support. And then, uh, yes, it'd be a lot of military, a lot of guys that I had deployed with came out and supported, a lot of cops, a lot of fire departments. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, it, there really wasn't one niche. It was just. Even just kids people. would come out. Yeah, kids would come out. People with their parents, whole families would come out for the day and and run. Um, yeah, it was awesome. I had kids that ran their first ever marathon with with me. You That's know? awesome. And a lot of people would just they'd be running their first marathon. And then I had one lady. She's like, "Well, I'm running a marathon next week, but I'm going to run one with you." And she PB'd, you know. <laughs> and so it'd be all all sorts of people. I'd come out of the RV in the morning, and there'd just be people that have been waiting there for me to come out and no matter what and it, it didn't matter what time in the morning would you start running i would usually start around seven um unless i had some kind of big interview like i had a fox and friends interview when i was in new york so i started at seven thirty or 8 uh but i would try and be pretty religious about starting at seven and then um yeah people would be out there it didn't matter if it was 20 degrees in denver they'd be out there <laughs> If it was raining, they'd be out there. You know, it was it was awesome. That is awesome. What was the what was the hardest part, or did you meet any hard parts during the during the trip? Was there any? And actually, I remember when you were getting ready to go. Yeah, this is pretty cool. I'm like, hey man, like, what if you know, what if you're not gonna make it? Like, what if you can't? <laughs> and, and what I was actually thinking about, I was thinking about your legs, and and I yeah. mean, I know that. I mean, I you know, I've got other friends that 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 have prosthetics and i know that it's a that it's a a grind and it rips your skin apart and i was kind of thinking that's what i was thinking i wasn't thinking like oh you were just gonna get tired and quit but i was thinking that there there might come a point where you physically weren't going to be able to do this without you know causing massive damage to your body and and possibly you know getting infections and everything else and i said you know what if you know what if something happens and you were like no i'm gonna I'm going to finish it. I was like, <laughs> okay, well, there you have it. Yeah, well, you know, that was something I was concerned about, too. I didn't know uh, how my body was going to react to it. And I didn't know for sure. I never knew, even up to the last one, the last mile of the last one, I I, I would never have said I'm definitely going to finish this because 
you know, anything can happen. I could have my prosthetic on twisted a little bit and then that rubs off skin on my skin graft and then that causes it to to die or something yeah. and then I'm screwed and then I have I can't, you know, I can't continue. Uh so I never knew for sure, but I I I believed that as long as everything kind of went according to plan, then it was possible as long as no catastrophic events happened. Um and I was feeling confident. I was very confident the whole time. And then I got all the way around to Texas. And I had been really lucky with the weather all the way around. We get to Texas and we're hitting a heat wave in Texas. Mm. And it was probably, I woke up in the morning in in, uh, in Houston, sweating already, just sweating already. It was ridiculous. I was just covered in sweat waking up in Houston. It was like 100% humidity. <laughs> Probably like 75, 80 degrees just to start the day. Houston, get some. Oh, my God. And heat gets to me pretty easily. It's it's the one thing that can really slow me down. But I came out of that RV, and there were... And the heat the heat can get to you because you, you basically are missing a couple radiators. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, because your, your body... Everyone's body gives off a lot of heat through their legs, mm-hmm. and you don't have those radiators to give off heat anymore. Yeah. So you 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 can overheat fairly quickly. Exactly. Um, yeah. And then my le- my so in addition to not having the radiators, my legs are encased mm. in carbon fiber, so it's actually bottling in the heat on my legs instead. So uh, it can really slow me down. But I came out of that RV in, in Houston, and there was just 70 people there waiting for me to run. And a lot of them were Marines. There's a local uh, Marine recruiting office that came out and they brought their pulleys, people that were about to go to boot camp. Awesome. And they brought them out. And I'm like, well, it doesn't matter. You know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, even if they weren't there, I still would have, you know, ran it. Yeah. But I'm like, man, look at all these people that want to run with me. And so I just did it. And then it just, it took a long, I think that was probably my longest. It was probably four and a half hours of uh, running. And there was a guy in his regular wheelchair that did it with me the whole time. He's just rolling in his wheelchair by me. Um, so that was a really tough day. So the San Antonio, Houston, Dallas were all really hot and really humid, and I had to do them back to back to back. Um, but I got through it because people came out and ran with me and like, kept me going. And um, and then in Nashville, I it, was, it had been raining that day, and I was running on a trail. And there were these wooden bridges over these little rit creeks. And I had run on wooden bridges before, so I knew they were going to be slippery. And I was like, all right, I'm going to take it slow over this. And I still, I slipped on this bridge and injured my back. Yeesh. Not at the time. It didn't feel like I injured it at the time. I was like, hmm, it was kind of a hard fall. And I kept running. But the next day when I woke up in Atlanta, my back was killing me. And it was, I had four left. And... Uh, I just had to gut it out. You know, every time I landed on my right foot, it was like kind of shot a bad pain into my into my middle back. And it was a little bit frustrating because I was like, I was feeling so good up to that point. And I had run a super fast marathon in Memphis. I was feeling so good. I was like, oh man, I'm going to be able to really enjoy these last four, you know. And then, you know, the universe is like, nope, you're going to have to earn it. Sorry. <laughs> you're going to have to earn it. <laughs> I'm going to be able to cruise these last four. Nope. And then you finished up on Veterans Day. Yeah. In in D.C. In D.C. Veterans Day. 
Um, my back was feeling a little bit better at this point, but still hurting pretty bad. And it was interesting because all up to that point, my my stumps were feeling pretty good. They had I I started to get these little pockets of fluid on the kind of the outer corner of both of them, and they hurt um, when I pushed on them. And then usually for the first mile, they would hurt pretty bad. And it got to a point where my mom had this like kind of icy hot spray. She was spraying that on on the ends every day to help. And so, but after the first mile, that pain would kind of go away. I would I would just pound them into submission or whatever. <laughs> and they would be like, all right, you're going to keep going. We're just going to turn ourselves off or whatever. <laughs> and uh, so after the first mile, I'd be good, and they wouldn't really hurt it much more until like the next day. The boss day. is a knucklehead. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just right, keep going. It's like he hears us, he hears us. He's going to keep doing it. Um, and, and, yeah, so after the first mile, it'd be, they'd be fine. But uh, that last day in, in Washington, D.C., they just never turned off. And I think maybe it was because it was that same thing where I knew this was the last one and my body kind of knew it was the last one. So it was starting to maybe let itself, it had held on to that last one and maybe it was starting to let itself unravel a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so that whole last day was just pain in the back, freezing cold. It was like 20 degrees out. And so every time I stopped to rest, I was sweating. I was like... You know, I had a hot water bottle I was all snuggled up with under a blanket, and I would still be, like, cold. But just the sheer number of people that were there. I'd never – I there was never less than 100 people running with me that entire day. That's awesome. And I had – there was people there that had run with me in other cities that came and came for the last one. I had brothers with me that had deployed to Afghanistan uh, all there running with me. Um. I had, for my last mile, I had, uh, there was a general running. He was out in front. So we were running around the National Mall, my last mile, around the reflecting pool. Was, it's about a mile. And so there was a general out front being like, clear the way. Because <laughs> clearing people out of the way, you know. And then there was a sergeant major who had been my company first sergeant. With the, so they were running like side by side, like, get out of the way. You know, politely telling people to get out of the way. Uh, Sergeant Major Kent, retired uh, Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, top Sergeant Major in the Marine Corps, was running with me that last uh, maybe 12K, singing cadences, you know. <laughs> um, there was, uh, you know, I just had, I had brothers with me that were in the group. Uh, their kids, you know, uh, Pam joined me for that last mile. My mom joined me. I had family in there for the last mile. And... Before we started that last mile, like I promised, I was like, "All right, everybody, I'm gonna take this last mile real slow, just so that we can, everybody can stay together." And then by the end of, the, I was like sprinting, but <laughs> <laughs> just so pumped up, you know, to be finished. But man, it was so cool, and I, I uh, finished that last little loop, and I kind of like ran up. There's this little curved sidewalk that goes up to the Lincoln Memorial. And so I finished that last mile, and I kind of curve it up to that last, and the whole sidewalk was lined with folks, and then they had set up a little uh, finish line for me up there, and the whole thing was just lined with people like, yeah, you know, and uh, uh, cross the finish line. Pam was there. You know, uh, we celebrated. She cried. I did not cry. <laughs> uh, Jack. Uh, to make that clear right now. Um, 
finished, you know, kissed her, hugged her, and then the, then the reporters kind of came in and started uh, talking. Awesome. And uh, you ra- you raised money. Yeah. You raised money, a bunch of money for uh, – I know you support a bunch of uh, foundations, mm-hmm. so that was awesome too. Yeah. That was – sort of the other driving force behind you doing it besides just you're crazy but also because you were raising money for a bunch of good causes yeah you know raising money we raised two hundred thousand um at the time i finished i i kind of i stopped keeping track but it's probably like 215 now or something like that uh for semper five fun tunnel to towers foundation coalition to suit america's heroes and that was kind of that was that was kind of how i almost um manifested physically manifested how successful it was and so my what i was trying to do is just create that create a story that people could feed off of and so when you when you look at all the stories that are out there about veterans coming back the vast 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 majority of stories are the post-traumatic stress story every movie that comes out that is about a OAF OAF veteran coming home is this pretty much the same uh, same recipe. Mm-hmm. Veteran goes overseas, they experience war, they see some bad stuff like you do in war. They come back and they're a basket case and they implode and they implode their family and all this stuff. And that's a good, that's a hugely important story to know because it does happen and it's we have to take care of those guys and we have to make sure we keep that story in our in the forefront of our minds but what started to bother me was that was the only story that was getting told and i think general mattis said it best when he answered the question somewhere and he said you know expectations are very strong so if you if you go overseas and everybody's kind of expecting you to uh basically have PTS, then there's a good chance that you're going to manifest that in yourself just by do, by virtue of the fact that that's what's expected. And, and so you're just going to create that. Yeah. Um, and so what I wanted to do was get this story out there, tell a story where there was a guy that went overseas, had a traumatic experience and came back and was better than he was before. And so that was how I, I determined I was going to create this story. And, you know, I felt that I knew that this was a problem, that this story wasn't getting out there. And also I felt the responsibility to create it myself. You know, if it's not out there, it's like what I was saying in that I can't uh, journal. You know, I had that responsibility because it just wasn't out there very much. And so I set out to create that story. And then, you know, so if if there was a guy that was struggling – um, he could see that story and then he could see, you know what, it actually is possible to go see war and come back and be fine and or not be necessarily be totally fine, but uh, overcome it and find your new path and find your new mission and continue on. Keep fighting for veterans. Keep fighting for your brothers. And if, they, if there's a guy that's coming home and he's kind of on the fence, he sees that story and maybe takes him the, the right way. And then at the same time, getting it out there for civilians. Uh, there's a, a major military-civilian gap of understanding because military t- tends to be isolated and on the bases. And, you know, that the f- I could see that gap because of all these movies that were coming out. There's every, like, 100% of movies that came out were the 
main character had PTSD. Whereas you look at the statistics and it's 25% of non-combat troops have what we'll call PTSD. 7% of combat troops have PTSD. And so it's a, a huge misrepresentation of the actual uh, of the actual scale. And so I wanted civilians to see that story where here here's a veteran that came came home and was you know he he was able to kind of adapt or process uh, what he'd seen. No, I think that's 100% right and I think you get you get you you nailed it and Mattis nailed it. Yeah. Like you set the expectations that everyone thinks that when they go to war they're going to be all screwed up. It's like that's what's going to happen to them. But if they if they get told, "Hey, and and I mean, you you know, you just said when you came home, you were better. Yeah. And like, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, I, I had that conversation with Sam Harris where, you know, I, he'd asked me, he said, hey, you know, you, you get told, you, you, I hear you saying that war is horrible and war is hell, but at the same time you say that it was like the best highlight of your life and it was, and, and I told him, and he's like, how do you reconcile those two things? And I said, well, have you ever known someone that had cancer? And when they get if they make it through, they say it made him a better person and they wouldn't wish it on anyone, but it made him a better person. And, and, and he said, yeah, and it, it made sense to him then. Yeah. And, and that's what I think is an important thing. And, and, you know, look at the, I mean, every war has incredible veterans that come home and do incredible things. Yeah. And I mean, Charlie Plum, when he was on, you know, after being in the Hanoi Hilton for six years and he rattled off the, the guy's that were in the Hanoi Hilton with him yeah. that were, you know, presidents and, and congressmen and just all these incredible achievements, maybe not presidents, but incredible, incredible achievements. Well, presidential uh, candidate yeah, with uh, Stockdale. McCain, yeah. So, and, and McCain, right? Two yeah. presidential candidates. So, so incredible achievements. And yet the, the media and the Hollywood they don't shine the light on that. What they shine the light on is the, 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 the people that are having issues, which, again, like you said, that's real too. Yeah. But the fact that you made this huge effort and are continuing to make a huge effort to show not just civilians but also military that, yeah, war is bad. I mean, you've, you, know, you say you had a traumatic experience. You had a freaking life-changing experience, and you've come back and you've, you've proven that that traumatic experience is not as strong as you are. Yeah. And, and I think that's the most important message that that anyone could communicate back to both sides, both the civilian and military side. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, there's so much to be said about what knowing something is already possible. So I told you about Dan Kanasen last yep. time I was yep. here. And back then, he was about a year and a half in front of me, yeah. and he was showing me what was possible for me. Yeah. I, I didn't know that it was possible to be able to walk around and with a huge backpack on and using no canes. But once I saw it, it's like, oh, so yeah. it is Paul. And it just made it so much easier uh, to do. And I was doing a talk not too long ago, and somebody told me afterwards that something that I didn't even realize. Um, I was, You know how last time I was talking about uh, finding IDs and that we do that thing called proof the lane? Yep. And... They told me that, that they just kind of mentioned to me that I kind of had continued. I did that in the Marine Corps, and I, I did this thing called proofing the lane, uh, where I was proving what what I was, you know, stepping on the ground and proving it was cleared. 
And then they said that kind of that, I didn't realize at this time, but they said that theme is following you wherever you go. Yeah. So I'm, I'm now proofing the lane for these, these veterans that may be struggling a little bit. Absolutely. And so I'm trying to, I'm proving what's possible. And so, yeah, I'm glad that they, uh, glad that they told me that. Cause that really makes yeah, a lot that, of sense to that me. That makes total sense. And Dan Canawson, who's a total stud. He's about to be in the Paralympics. Uh, uh, again? Yeah, again. He's awesome. going to Pion, was it Pion? What's Pion Chang? The, yeah, Pion yeah. Chang. Yeah. Uh, South Korea to, uh, I think he's doing biathlon and, uh, cross country skiing. So. Yeah, no, he's a total beast uh seal uh that that also lost both of his legs above the knee and just a total badass yeah. stud. Um I want to read a a couple more little sections from your uh journal to close this out. Here we go back to the journal. So when I get asked by people, how could you fathom let alone complete running 31 marathons in 31 days? I give them the same simple answer because I am a, a Marine. And my mission to fight for my fellow veterans has not changed. And when a Marine is on mission for his fellow Marines, he is capable of anything. Therefore, when people ask me, haven't you done enough, sacrificed enough, I remind them that not only do I have the capability to accomplish my mission, be proud of my Marine Corps heritage, stay faithful to my fellow Marines, and keep fighting, I have the responsibility. I have the responsibility to keep fighting for my country, my Corps, and my fellow veterans. So no, it will never be enough. The day that I have done enough will be the day that six Marines lower my body into my grave in Arlington Cemetery. And how can I do it? I do it because it is my duty. And to do my duty is my honor. In one last little passage I want to read from your journal. It says, I am merely a representative of what is possible for any veteran, any person. So as time passes, I do not want my name to be remembered. All I want to be remembered is the story. Years from now, when people speak about this, I want them to say, I remember that guy who ran all those marathons that one time. And their friend will, will reply, what was his name? And they will say, I don't remember, but he was a Marine. Well, Rob, I can tell you that uh, I got a feeling that you will be remembered and your name will be remembered and the way that you have represented the Marines and America and mankind will be remembered. And remembered and revered as well so thanks for coming on the show again and letting us all know that we are capable of much much more if we just step up and push a little bit harder been awesome having you back on man it's been awesome being here I mean again I'm glad I could come up with the, the material. 
Yeah, man. <laughs> I was like, once you said you invited me back, I was like, I got to start writing some stuff. <laughs> no, you don't have to write anything, man. We can just come on and talk. Echo, no. you got any questions for the man? Yeah. Was there any time, like, during the 31 marathons that you were like, oh, this is kind of lame? <laughs> uh, I'm kind of off this now. Were you ever th- did you ever think that? I mean, not even necessarily that you were, like, tired physically or nothing, just kind of like... You know, it's kind that's of, interesting kind of because I got—I definitely got tired of doing the interviews. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But the thing with that is, the interviews—you know—I didn't—I wasn't doing this to like to get a bunch of you know people telling me I'm awesome, you know, right. or anything. Um, but the interviews, so doing the the marathons without the interviews would be pointless mm-hmm. because the story wouldn't get out there without yeah, doing yeah. the interviews. Mm-hmm. But doing the interviews without the story, without doing the marathons, is actually is also pointless. Right, right. And it kind of got... The, the funny thing is, I did this because it was going to be hard. I did this because it was going to be really difficult. Yeah, yeah. And I knew that going in, and that's the whole purpose of it, was to do something that was hard. <laughs> and then, you know, the last four days, and then Houston and stuff, when it started to get hard, I was like, it's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Why is this so hard? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I like I said, like I was saying before, there was never a point where I was like, "There's no way I can do this" mm. or anything like that. I was like, as long as I don't get severely injured by a mistake, don't get hit by a car, or you know, break a bone or something, then I'm gonna be able to do this. Yeah gonna get her done yeah i feel like every, like every once in a while when i do something that takes a long time like months or something like that like i get to a point every one every once in a while where i'm like what, what am i doing here like yeah this, it definitely gets i mean it jump. gets it gets repetitive for sure yeah yeah do that's wake, up, I mean, okay. yes, yeah. wake up uh run marathon you don't day. listen to music you don't listen to do you listen to podcasts do you listen to music i didn't really on the month of marathons except a few times because you have people with you talking i have people with me and you are just going to be like, hey, I'm listening to a podcast. Leave me alone. Yeah, well, some, you know, sometimes I did do that, to be honest with you. There were times I did do that. Um, hey, sometimes. That, that, two, that, that Wednesday morning, that Jocko podcast dropped. <laughs> you're like, hey. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, you're hoping for a long one. One of the few people that was hoping for a four-hour podcast <laughs> man, to get you I can't through. Wait. Uh, there were t- there, I felt kind of bad in the last four because I told you my back was hurting so much. And I was like, every time I landed on that right foot, it would be severe pain. And then it would kind of make me like kind of gasp a little bit. Oh, yeah. And so I felt really bad because there's a lot of people that were, you know, they came out to run with me and they were like talking to me and trying to trying to help me keep going. But I just was not in the mood for talking, you know, and I felt terrible because they'd be like asking me questions. And I'd be like giving them the one word, you know, like, oh, you know, what's your favorite place or whatever. I'm like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's, I just, I, so I wish I could have handled that part a little bit better, and you know, get let those people you know, talk to those people a little bit. But I'm sure they understand yeah. uh, why. And I kind of said it before, and I was like, "Listen, everybody, if I'm not talkative, it's because I have this back injury." And it's not because I don't like you. Yeah, personally. it's not because I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so it's that. But you know, when when it got hard, uh, I fell back on on my mission, and uh, that's what. Uh, that's what I was doing it for. It didn't whether or not I was hurting or didn't feel like doing it was not as important as the doesn't mission. have anything to do with anything, really, does yeah. it? Yeah, just not very. Can I ask you? I want to ask your opinion on something because I I came up with a theory, and and it's not totally thought out yet, mm-hmm. 
like my theory. This, and this theory might actually get me killed, so please <laughs> echo. Of course. Uh, defend me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there may be something that's more powerful than discipline. And what? <laughs> he, anybody that's listening, Jocko reached for the knife. <laughs> and and maybe it's just that they're kind of go hand in hand. But mm-hmm. I think the one thing that may be as powerful, or maybe even more powerful than discipline, is uh, selflessness. And so the reason I say that is because I don't know. Maybe the discipline leads to the ability to perform the selfless acts, but it seems to me like all the discipline in the world might not allow you to do something like lift a car off of your child, you know, or or dive on a grenade. Well, yeah, I mean, there's. I think you're actually 100 percent right. I don't okay. think that's a theory. I think that you know when you take guys in combat, when when guys are in combat. And guys do incredible things and sacrifice their lives for their brothers. That that is not about discipline, and the, you know they're doing that because they're selfless and they want to take care of their friends. That's what they're doing it for. Yeah. And and you know there can be people that are you know undisciplined individuals that perform incredibly heroic uh, things in combat. So no, I don't think I don't think it's a uh, I don't think it's uh, I think that's actually correct. I mean, I think there's that's an cool. extremely powerful force, and and you know that may be that. And and I was thinking about you know the the power of that. Where I thought you were going to say, what I thought you were going to talk about it was, you know, you weren't doing this for yourself. Right. You know, you weren't doing this for yourself. You were doing this to get a message out there. That you were doing this to raise money for others, for your friends, for your brothers. That's that is a more powerful thing than, hey, I'm just a self-disciplined person. Right. Now, you know, discipline is, is like, an, it's like they're, it's like they're, they're in different, um, it's not apples to apples. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. think it's not like, it's not like this is more powerful than that. No, because I'll tell you that if you want to perform well, if you want to achieve things, like you wouldn't be able to do this for these causes, if you didn't have the discipline to train hard, to eat right, to get on the path, to yeah. stay on the path, you wouldn't have been able to do this. Even though you really wanted to, even though you really, really wanted to, you really, really wanted to care about your brothers, you really, really wanted to raise money for those funds, if you didn't have the discipline to make it happen and, and train yourself and be ready, that that you wouldn't have been able to deliver that. Just yeah. like a guy on the battlefield, they're on the battlefield because they, they were able to perform, they were able to have the discipline to get to that point. Uh, but they're they're two. I'd say they're related. I don't think they're they're definitely not opposing each other. Right, yeah. And I and in fact, I think that if I was to tell you, you know, when I was in the SEAL teams, what the the actual driving force behind the discipline that that I tried to have myself wasn't for me. It was like I want to be able to perform well on the battlefield, not because I want to perform well, but because I want to make sure I don't let my brothers down. Yeah. So. I would say it's actually like a a force that's a foundational force. You know, it's like people that are heavily heavily religious. Their discipline relies on their religious faith. People that are overachievers that want to accomplish something, their discipline is based on the fact that they want to get that achievement. So the discipline by itself there has to be something that the discipline there has to be a foundation that that's built upon and i think a lot of pe- a lot of times people build their 
their foundation of discipline, the foundation that their discipline is built on is actually the fact that they want to take care of their friends. They want to be able to take care of their brothers. They want to take care of their family. You know, you get all kinds of, you know, I was, you you take a a single mom that's working three jobs right now. Hmm. Well, she's has to be highly disciplined. She has to be highly disciplined. She's got to get up every morning at three o'clock to get to the diner in time to start waiting tables. She's doing that. She has that discipline, not based on the fact that she wants to be stronger for herself. She's doing that so she can feed her kids. She's doing that. She's doing that selflessly so that she can feed her kids. Yeah. So no, I mean that's a that's absolutely true, and yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Supporting. Uh, yeah, and I think the 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 best way the way to get the most out of yourself is to figure out a way to make it about something that you care about more than yourself. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think that discipline is a manifestation of of selflessness yeah, there you go. in many ways. It's a way that you're, like I said, a single mom that's working three jobs, look, let's face it, she doesn't want to work any of those three jobs. She doesn't want to work any of those three jobs, but she's doing it, she's doing it every day, day in, day out. Why is she doing that? She, why is she just dis- showing that discipline and manifesting that discipline? Yeah. It's because she cares about her kids more than she cares about herself, yeah. and that's all there is to it. And you could go to the battlefield and say the same thing. Why do, why do, why do Marines train so hard? Yeah, exactly. Why, so why do we train hard in the SEAL yeah. teams? Why, why are we doing that? Are we doing that? For ourselves, are we imposing that discipline on ourselves? Are we having the self-discipline because we want to be good for ourselves? No, it's because we want to be able to take care of our friends. We want to be able to take care of our brothers, and and you could go across the board with any of that. So yeah. I I totally agree with you. Awesome. Well, I'm glad glad that I'm still alive now. <laughs> <laughs> Check. But could they? At any point, come into conflict with each other, where you got to choose to remain disciplined or serve others i don't i don't see how they would come in conflict with each other and if they did come in conflict i think you make a rational decision yeah yeah you know for sure. like i mean i mean hey am i gonna get sneak my workout in like what's more important to me working out or or going on a mission with my friends right right or your i don't know daughter's piano recital that they want you to be at but you gotta you know it's at, it's at you a certain what? time you gotta choose you choose know? between what and what? Being disciplined with the workout that day. Okay. I or mean, making the recital. See right. I mean, obviously you want to make the recital, but yeah. if the th- if the choice is between making the recital and you have to go to your job and work, well, if you don't go to your job and work, guess what? Now you don't have money to pay for your piano lessons in the first yeah, place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, so you no, better I'm, think about that. I, that's all I'm saying. Better is impose is, that discipline. Is there a, po- a, a situation where discipline and selflessness will come into conflict? I'm just saying, usually they're, they support each other, for sure. I think oh, you're right. What, but is there a circumstance? Yes, is what there, I'm is, saying. There, is, there is. You could actually become, you could actually focus on yourself and be like, hey, it's more important for me to take care of me right. than it is for me to take care of my team. And that's not going to go over well with the team. Yeah, and you right. may end up being, you know, a highly disciplined individual. Right. But you yeah. you have no you, you have no outlet for right, it because you have no one like, to take care of if yeah. except for yourself. Well, and in that situation, you know, like you see, like the what's what's the? Uh, I haven't watched the movie, but I know exactly. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I haven't watched the movie. It's American Psycho, <laughs> oh, okay. right? Oh, yeah. I, I, oh, no, I haven't awesome watched the movie, movie but I, but I I know exactly what the story is. The guy is like super highly disciplined, right? Yeah. Isn't he like yeah. the way he yeah. does everything yeah, highly yeah. disciplined? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, obviously he's a psycho and he's he's not supporting anyone but himself. Sure. So that's like an extreme version of someone that cares about themselves. Right. And it, yeah, they're sure they're highly disciplined, but 
you, you know, being highly disciplined doesn't make you a good person. Yeah, it doesn't automatically yeah. make you selfless. No. Well, it yeah. Does, it do, well, yeah, it doesn't make you selfless, and it, it certainly doesn't make you a good person either. Yeah. And you could certainly g- get into a situation where, you know, you get people that are... Uh, bank robbers. No, I was Highly disciplined ba- bank robber. I wasn't yeah. thinking bank robbers, but you think... You know the people that are so into working out that that trumps yeah, their yeah, family everything. and yeah. that everything trumps yeah. everything. Yeah, and they and they have an issue, right? Mm-hmm. They're so into it that they that they sacrifice. Yeah, not even sacrifice. They just don't care. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, what, what, you know, when you meet someone that's so into working out that I mean, that's a very selfish thing, right? Working out is a selfish thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Now there's part of it that's selfless because. Yeah. You're working out so that you can stay healthy, so you can take care of your family, you can take care of your friends, like we just right, talked yeah, about. Capable. But you can take that to a point, yeah. So you're capable of surviving and taking care of your uh, your friends and your family. But you can easily get to a point where, hey, the most important thing is me. Yeah, my pull ups. The most important thing is me and my my numbers. Yeah, my numbers. And you know what? I was danger close to this with jujitsu because for a while oh, I was yeah, like, yeah. I'd come I home at night and my and my wife would be like, you know, this is I was still in the teams. Yeah. And I was, I was a task unit commander. Like we, I was that. That was the most important thing in my life. But I would still come home at night at seven thirty at night or eight o'clock at night, and I'd grab my gym bag and I'd go train jujitsu. And my wife would be like, "What the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. Like, what are you doing?" <laughs> and that's that was borderline, right? That was borderline. But for me, it was like, "Hey, this is a skill set that I should have when I'm on the battlefield, mm-hmm. so I can take care of myself and take care of my friends." And by the way, that means I have a 1.001% chance that I'm going to come home instead of not come home. So I'm yeah. going to do it. And that right there, that's probably a little bit of rationalization because sure. selfishly, I really love training jiu-jitsu. Yeah, right. yeah so there's, there's a selfishness there and I, that I just tried to rationalize a little bit. And, yeah. and you know, You're that's actually good. another thing we talked, we talked about on the first podcast with yeah. you is rationalization and how you got to be careful of that you got to be careful of rational rationalizing everything yeah so yeah those are those are things that uh definitely can get can become can become problematic if you if well that's you know what that's why there's a dichotomy that's why there's a dichotomy in everything because you can go overboard with any any personality trait you can go too far with yeah and you can definitely go that that's why discipline and freedom it's it's actually a balance even yeah, though discipline right. equals freedom but guess what if you have pure discipline if you if you remove all freedom well then what did you just do enslave yourself yeah you enslaved yeah. so you there's balance there's balance yeah. in in discipline there has to be balance in discipline I think the reason that it strikes people to talk about discipline equals freedom is because most people don't make that connection. And most yeah. people lean so t- far towards just freedom yeah. of doing whatever they want that they end up enslaved from a different direction. Yeah. Which is equally, if not more problematic. And I say more problematic because now you end up in a situation where you're slaved, you're enslaved by something that's not good, that's not healthy, that's not yeah. positive. Yeah. Whereas at least with discipline, if you're s- imposing the discipline on yourself, self-discipline, well then you're you're imposing things on you that are at least positive long term. At, yeah. at a minimum, they're positive long term. Yeah. Yeah. Now, can you go overboard with that? Yes. There's people that have eating disorders, right? Oh yeah, yeah. There's people that have eating disorders. They they impose so, such strict discipline that they're unhealthy, mm-hmm. and that's bad and that's mm-hmm. horrible. You know, I've 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 heard back from some people that that said, hey, 
you know, I have trouble with eating disorders. You know, it's generally been females who have more trouble with that category. And they actually have to use the discipline to say the, the correct discipline thing to do is to eat more, yeah, yeah, yeah. is to eat the proper amount of calories. Because it's a horrible, horrible thing if you see people going through that. And it's a fatal disease, right? Yeah. It's a fatal disease. And so, so again, to your point, there's, you can become so disciplined that it's that it's negative. Yeah, it's negative on your personal health. It's negative on your you know You can work yourself. You can work yourself so hard You can say oh, I'm gonna be disciplined at work and now you you stop you lose the balance and you start stop working out And you stop training and you start eating donuts <laughs> And you start eating donuts not before you run a, a marathon, but before you sit down in front of your computer yeah. so there there absolutely has to be balance, but f f factually the the tendency the the tendency is i'm going to be i'm going to be less disciplined and i'm going to do things that are easy i'm going to be in the easy path and yeah. that leads to that's that's the 80% 90% yeah, yeah. i don't know what yeah. percent but that is a vast majority of people vast majority of people don't need less discipline in their lives they need more discipline that's mm -hmm. the vast majority of people myself included myself included need more discipline not less yeah and it's almost about what you're being disciplined towards. So, like in the yeah. uh, the situation you bring up with the recital, you have the competing uh, thing. So, and maybe it actually takes more discipline to forego your workout and realize right. what's oh, more yeah. a bigger picture discipline. Kind of yeah. thing. People will say to me, like on uh, on Twitter, they'll say, uh, "If you have real discipline, once you have the discipline to sleep in tomorrow." <laughs> <laughs> Then get out of your comfort zone and sleep in. Oh yeah, that's a different <laughs> thing. But but yeah, so you'd have to look at the bigger. But is there a bigger discipline then, right? Because you gotta mm. you, you gotta you gotta consider your goals and stuff like that. To, right. the, you can't have the discipline to sleep in if that doesn't benefit your goal. Right. It's right, not right. even discipline. Yeah. yeah. And like the person that's struggling with the uh, eating disorder, they're disciplined. At first, they were disciplined to lose weight. Right. Yeah. And they need to change that discipline to be yeah. healthy. Right. Consider you know, the goal. Yeah, yeah exactly. the goal. Right. The goal needs to be Change health. Change the goal. Yeah. What a scary thing! Yeah. What yeah. a scary thing! You look in the mirror and you 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 think you're overweight and you're not. Some guys get that the opposite. For sure. The, the, body, the, the body body dysmorphia. Dysmorphia. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah. So you can have it like you know you you think you're always you always think you're fat but you're yeah. really skinny and then the other way is like you always think you're skinny so you need bigger muscles so you you know so you the, you get on the juice yeah or whatever the, yeah yeah the asteroids. And that's actually why we're Bumba. here today, Echo. I mean, Jocko, we like. <laughs> we talked about yeah. this earlier. Too much you curl are, oil. You have big enough apparently. muscles. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Muscles <laughs> Thank, are big thanks enough. Thanks, Rob Jones. <laughs> this guy, so supportive, man. So supportive. You should have seen him before he started cutting weight. <laughs> Check. Speaking of health and support and support, Echo Charles. Yes. Is there any way that you could advise us how to support? Ourselves, ourselves, and each possibly, other, and possibly yeah. we just supported, supported. Yeah, we so supported out there. We yeah. supported Tim. We did. Actually, one of the benefits of having you on is you're very supportive, very uh, <laughs> encouraging. You know, and Good. I like that. But in the event of people, us wanting to support this podcast, in addition to each other, in addition to ourselves, or all at once, we can stay on. Jocko Super Krill Oil. I thought you were going to say the path. Well, yeah, the path. That's bigger picture for okay. sure, and we'll talk about that. But one of the methods 
to stay on the path is krill oil. You can lift a lot of weights. You can have strong muscles, kind of like um, like when you tear your skin apart, I guess. Mm-hmm. But if your joints are all jacked up, they don't want to move. You're yeah. not lifting nothing. So, and this goes for everyday life. So, super krill oil, Jocko has supplements, finally. Super krill oil, joint warfare, and discipline, which is a pre-mission, what a cognitive enhancer, force multiplier. Technically, what does force multiplier mean? It's like when you get one thing you and another, it, and yes. the sum is worth more than the than the parts. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, we'll go with it. cognitive. Not, you were so excited about that. <laughs> I'm just gonna let it roll. Anyway, three supplements, right? Not counting the new one that's gonna come out soon. Mm. So krill oil for your joints, joint warfare, warfare for your joints, and discipline pre-mission. You take it, cognitive enhancers, a little bit of caffeine in there. Fifteen know, milligrams. Fifteen milligrams. Unless. You drink multiple scoops. Sure, then it's 30. I did an event the other night, and I was kind of tired going into it straight up. I was kind of tired, and it, usually my events are during the day, but this was at night, and so I was kind of like, you know, I'd flown out there, and I was feeling a little bit, so I, so I drank some discipline, and then I drank some more sure. discipline, <laughs> and I ended up having, uh, I guess it was a total, some total of about five scoops of discipline <laughs> sure so too much discipline this that? guy 60 milligrams but there's not just the, the balance it? Right? yeah it, but anyways i got done with the event and went up to you know hung out with everyone for a little bit had the little dinner thing and then got done with that and then hung out and then went up to my room hotel room and i just sat there and and the funny thing is i didn't realize I was like, why? Because I had gotten up early in the morning, worked out, the travel, the blah, blah, blah. And I didn't realize, why am I, why do I have energy right now? Why can't I sleep right now? This is ridiculous. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? <laughs> and then, and then I didn't even realize it till the next day. Because I went to bed at 1.30 in the morning, woke up at 4.30, and then I did like a stretch, came home, Jack Steele when I got home. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I got home, did squats, but... <laughs> Which is nice because my sure. arm's been jacked up, so I haven't been able to do. I still I'm not doing overhead squats right now, or even front squats. Oh right, I'm right. Just doing, yeah, well, yeah, so yeah. I, I am doing front squats with a kettlebell. Yeah, and some one. of us have a yeah, bigger one. kettlebell than other people, but whatever. Sure, so sure. You got to be careful. Don't yeah. have the if you're not used to caffeine because I'm not used to caffeine because I only have Jocko White Tea, which has the same 15 milligrams, or Discipline if you're not used to caffeine that little 15 milligrams and you drink a bunch of it You're gonna feel it. Don't drink it before you go to bed at night. Yeah, that's my warning unless you have stuff to do Unless you got stuff to do. Yeah, yeah. Then get after it. Yeah. Yeah, you want to balance the discipline for sure Yeah, you will not you will feel sharp yeah. That's what's good about it. You feel sharp. It's good. It's funny physically every, and mentally when you or when someone says Oh, yeah, I'm drinking the discipline. You ever watch Spaceballs? Remember that <laughs> <Yes>. show? <laughs> Spaceball when he's like liquid Schwartz. Remember, oh. it's like the Schwartz is the the force. Oh, liquid it's spa- force. You know what Spaceballs is, right? Yeah, it's it was a, a parody, parody of Star, of Star Wars. Wars. So yeah. instead of the force, it's the Schwartz, right? The That's Schwartz. what it is, Schwartz. Yeah. And then he had the liquid Schwartz. Oh yeah, so that was like the, the fuel discipline. or something. I forget. It was, it was a while ago. Anyway, that's how you sound when you say I'm drinking the discipline. You can't drink the. You yeah. know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I think you meant to do that. Nonetheless, you get this at Origin Maine. Dot com on the top it says labs actually a guy emailed me it was like hey I can't find the, the I can't find the discipline I said look within yourself <laughs> then I said go to originmain.com on the top it says labs you Boom. just made look it funny there. You I like that Good job. you know I'm jumping back and forth anyway that's where you get it originmain.com
Um, also on OriginMain.com, they got uh, some cool geese, all made in America. Rash guards, compression gear, tops and bottoms, rash guards, spats. Spats. Yeah, we're going with spats. Do they have the black out yet? Yeah. I don't have they any. They do. Right. You know, also, look at the, start planning your schedule for the origin jiu-jitsu camp. Immersion. Immersion camp. camp. Yeah, yeah, it's I not like a, word. it's not like a hardcore, like, that's the thing, and that's what Pete kind of, well, this is what he was kind of telling me, where it's not like the kind, it's not like, like boot camp or something, which it would be cool too. It's not like a training camp for like an event. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know when guys yeah. can't train Although for ADCC? Yeah, yeah, we're training. We're training hard. But it's more like you're in there to immerse yourself in jiu-jitsu. You want to train hard, you train hard. You want to learn hard, you yeah, learn yeah. hard. Whatever, well, you know? yeah, the case in point, there's a lot of people that have never even trained before. Yeah, yeah. Literally have never yeah. trained before. Yeah. Got up, said, hey, before this morning's class, I need to get a gi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I don't yeah. even have a gi. Yep. So yeah, that's in August. You can check on the website for that too. Come on up, Echo Charles and I will be there. You want to go? Yeah. Okay. Cool. It's good Come fun. on. Up. It's like fun. this cool. Can't, yeah. It's dope. You can start learning more than I taught you last time we did jujitsu. Oh yeah, the <laughs> two moves that we had. <laughs> <laughs> I have jujitsu legs now. Oh, you do. So what do they? What do they look like? Jujitsu legs. Because um, I told you, you got to get rid of like the hard thing. Yeah, they were just the hard sockets, right? And so what I did was. You know, I had I had trouble standing up. Yeah. So what I did was I had these two. I have the sockets that go on my legs. So what I had my process do is cover them in foam, and then so that's a little bit softer for mm-hmm. people, so I don't hurt anybody. And then um, he made it so I could just stand on the ends of those sockets. So like the same height. Yeah. So the, the same height. Awesome. And so now that's I that's a kinda, game changer. I use them to. Uh, I haven't started taking jujitsu uh, because I've been really busy, but uh, I'm gonna. I think once we get back, my wife and I are going to start going in. Awesome. And then I also use them to do some weightlifting stuff. I've been able to figure uh, out how to do squats okay, yeah, off yeah. the ground. Nice. Awesome. Squats. Squats. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it's awesome. So I'll be ready. Yeah. No, that that is awesome. Yeah. That, yeah, because the biggest concern I had last time was the uh, the shell had like a like – a, and that metal valve thing, on it. yeah, valve, yeah. and that thing was uncool. Oh yeah, He's jamming you up. <laughs> oh, man, that was uncool. Yeah. No, I didn't realize at the time that you were insulting me, because <laughs> that's how I do things. Not until sometimes. after, no, not until <laughs> after, because uh, the whole time you were after we rolled, you were like, "Oh yeah, you're really strong, you're really strong," and then a couple of times later, a couple of podcasts later, you're like, "Oh, it's actually an insult." So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a, yeah. You don't have any technique. But you're strong, you know. That's, yeah. how, I, that's how I learned that I was almost optimistic to a fault. Was that when we roll? And you've talked about this before. When we roll, I was like, "There's got to be a way that I can catch Jocko. There's yeah. got to be yeah. some way." And that guy, like, um, who yeah. was the guy uh, that's missing his hand that we rolled with? Uh, I rolled with afterwards. Oh, Jeffrey. Oh, Jeffrey. Yeah. yeah, Jeffrey. I had him in. I had him by the neck, and I was like, "Oh, dang! I got him! <laughs> I can't believe this! I got him!" And then afterwards, you're like, "There's no possible way you're gonna." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Like I, yeah. I saw, I, somehow I was just so optimistic about what I can do to yeah. a fault. It, it yeah. is that, and you're the, you're with so many people. Yeah, Ma- majority yeah, of people, especially with jujitsu, yeah. fall in that category of yeah, like, yeah. well, and the other funny thing is, you'll get somebody with something, and then they think to themselves, "If I could, if I just stop that." Yeah. <laughs> then I'll be able to win. Yeah. I had a I had a wrestler. This was back in the day. I was like a blue belt. And, <laughs> and this blue belt and I was going against this wrestler, uh, you know, like a, a really good college wrestler. And the look on his face every single time was 
just like, okay, let's let's go let's go again. Yeah. He was the first person that I realized like that that's the normal reaction. But especially yeah. for a wrestler, because wrestler that wrestle in college, man, they've been dominating people in high school. They've been dominating people in college. They yeah. know they they understand grappling, and so when they get they get like yeah. submitted, they just can't. They just don't even understand yeah. it. It seems like the one thing yeah, they the never saw thing. before, yeah. and you know, and then and I don't know. You can you can you can give me some advice on this. Is it better? Because I've done it both ways. Is it better to submit them with the same thing every single time, which I've done that, or to submit them with something new every single time, yeah. where they just are dumbfounded? Yeah, I think the second one, get, yeah. especially given what you said, because yeah. it's true, the wrestler, he's going to have all this knowledge of grappling. Yeah. So, And it makes sense. you know. So you see this one weird thing that you've never seen. Yeah. In your mind, you're like, all right, that's just, just that one, one weird, kind of yeah. rare kind of thing. It's a feeling. and then, But if you're like this thing, this thing, this thing, it's like, okay, this world is opening yeah. up now. And okay, I understand. Yeah. You little realize bit it better. wasn't a fluke. Yes, it wasn't just that yeah. one thing. Like how you yeah. said that one thing. I just got to stay away from his... Or yeah. putting my neck in there, I just yeah. gotta stay away from just that. That's all. That. So it kind of depend or 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 deviates from that whole idea. So we'll be having these discussions and many more at the immersion camp in Maine in August. August. Yeah, yeah. it's right before school starts. Yeah. So yeah, those are good fun, man. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, originmaine.com. Check it out. Good way to support. Also. Jocko talked about his new cool kettlebell that's heavier than mine. Nonetheless, I got the whole set. Uh, you know, you know what kettlebells I'm talking about, right? Yeah, the, the, the demon or the 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 primal bells, monkey ones or whatever. Yeah, gorillas. Gorillas. I think there's like a cyclops in there yeah. too. Anyway, any more word on the Jocko head or is that that gonna happen? <laughs> yeah, it's still working. Probably we're in the idea <laughs> phase on that one still, but yeah, that's good. But nonetheless, <sighs> you want the whole set. Go to onit.com slash Jocko. Really good kettlebells in there. Other exercise stuff on there, too. You want to switch up your workout. I ran into that the other day. Like, dang, this workout is getting boring. So I just BTF through it. Yeah. And then did you, because it's good, too, to do things. And you brought this up before. If you're not used to something, even though it's like we talked about squats, like going all the way down, which is what I'm used to. If I was to do squats to... What is it? Parallel to the deck. <laughs> That's the standard. Yeah, the standard. And then those squats would actually be a little bit harder for me yeah. for like a week or two weeks. Yes. And then I'd realize that going down yeah. in the hole is the place where you need to get. <laughs> yeah, but and it goes along with exactly what you're saying, how like your your brain ha- has to, it's called neuromuscular connection, yeah. where if you're used to use, doing a certain motion, you can do it way more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Put more weight on there. We're pretty efficient, you know, and that's what, what gain where gains come from yeah. or, or a big part of where gains mm-hmm. come from. Um, so yeah, you just you just l- change the movement just a little bit, mm. boom, whole nother thing. Your body got to get used to more gains to be had. Well, that's <laughs> the whole theory of Westside Barbell, isn't? They change their the way they do something every three weeks. They either yeah. instead of doing this bench press the same exact way, the next they do that for three weeks, and then yeah. the next three weeks they do it wide, or mm-hmm. they do it with a different kind of bar, or they yeah. do it different range of motion. Yeah. So once you, they don't allow their body to totally adapt yeah so constantly changing and just kind yeah. of yeah yeah there's pretty there's a lot of cool ways you can kind of manipulate that yeah. to, from workout to workout but yeah well then so yeah if you want to vary up your workout with all kinds of different movements on it they have some cool stuff battle maces or no battle ropes mm-hmm. maces some other stuff anyway on it.com slash jocko good spot <clears throat> also when you buy the books that we sometimes review on this podcast um I got them all organized on jockopodcast.com in the book section. Click, Just click through there. It takes you to Amazon, Amazon Prime, if you have it. And, uh, you know, get your book. Good way to support. If you're doing other shopping, continue. 
Do your shopping. Buy that lawnmower you've been meaning to buy. <laughs> also, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Seems obvious, I know. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and other podcasting providing podcast providing platforms. Also on YouTube because we do have a YouTube channel, Rob Jones. Mm-hmm. I know you're on there sometimes. <laughs> we have excerpts. I think that's really one of the main values is the excerpts of For this sure. podcast. For sure. Because People yeah, some, like yeah, because a lot of times, I mean, aside from seeing what you and our guests yeah. look like, you know, the video version or whatever, the excerpts are shareable, and I didn't realize how valuable that was with the sharing thing. until when. I think it's a gradually increasing understanding of the value okay. overall. Nonetheless, uh, I could go into a whole you know, thing about that. People that say like, hey, could you make an excerpt for this and make an excerpt for this and make yeah. an excerpt? You're just starting to realize that maybe they had a reason for that? We'll just say I'm realizing <laughs> it more. How about that? Check. Nonetheless, good value there in my opinion and a good way to support. So subscribe to the YouTube channel if you want. Also, Jocko has a store. If you didn't know already, it's called Jocko Store. Go to JockoStore.com, and if you want the shirts that say Discipline Equals Freedom, get after it. The Warrior Kid shirt, like this one. Mm-hmm. Or the shirt that Jocko always wears, the Victory MMA and Fitness. That's where you can get it. That's where you get it. JockoStore.com. We need to make gray ones of these. Gray, but yeah. just gray. Gray. Oh, well, like yeah. Heather Gray? I don't care. I don't know. Just whatever. gray. Gray. Can we do that? Yeah, but that's a general term. You know, gray, it's like you can't just say, hey, you All know. Right. You gotta, you well, gotta I need gray specific. shirts for the I summertime bet. that's coming. I, I bet you, like you got 50, it. There are 50 different shades of gray. There's a whole documentary <laughs> about that, right? Oh, oh, there are documentaries good. about that? <laughs> <laughs> this guy. He, doesn't, he for real doesn't know what you're talking about either. That's the funny it's thing. It's a pop culture reference. Yeah, yeah, 50 shades of gray, you know? <laughs> Nonetheless, I'll make the gray one, so there will be a gray Victory MMA and Fitness shirt available Boom. on jockostore.com soon. I like it. I promise. Also, some women's stuff on there. Uh, some patches. I just got the patches reordered, so they should be in there. You know, the store's running better now. It is. So, you know, check we're, it out. We're happy to hear that. Yeah, man. Yeah. It means a lot to us. Yep. Some hoodies on there. Some rash guards on there for various activities, including but not limited to jujitsu, cycling. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a guy on Twitter, Instagram. I think he ran i think a marathon i think nice with, representing with it representing big time oh, with nice. the get after at rash guard he said he did f- it 50 percent better 50 percent wow. better well there you go there factual. you go the that's factual sci- that's scientific yeah, yeah proof is Absolutely. in the pudding so boom rash guards yes jockostore.com look at that stuff i'm not saying buy something i'm saying if you want something get something good way to support also psychological warfare i'm going to explain what it is again it's no problem for me it is an album, not a music album. It's a spoken word album with tracks. And these tracks are for, they have a, a purpose, not just entertainment, like, oh, this is poetic. It is poetic, but that's not the purpose. <laughs> the purpose is for each track is to get you through. When you're on the path, on the campaign against weakness, you'll run into these moments of weakness, mm-hmm. right? Just little insurg- weakness insurgents, if you will, you know, they show up every once in a while Mm -hmm. so you listen to a specific track designated for a certain type of weakness that'll creep in and the track is Jocko telling you why you should overcome this weakness why 
kind of how as well. It's not Jocko yelling at you. It's just a pragmatic kind of in a way these steps to take to overcome these weaknesses. Boom. 100%. Um, 100%. Um, 100%. 100%. Uh, what do you saw? Success rate on that one, in my experience. 100%. Good way to support. You can also get Jocko White Tea on Amazon. It's called Jocko White Tea. Sure. And that's for people that want to deadlift 8,000 pounds. And this is another scientifically proven, mm. factually double-blind pla- placebo. Placebo, yes. Placebo proven. Somebody on the, or I don't want to say somebody. Okay, there's this guy, he deadlift. I don't know, he deadlifted a bunch. Oh, yeah, recently. yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's, what's that? Who's that guy? He's huge. He's a he's Bjorn a, Thor. Half, yeah, half yeah. Thor Bjornsson. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He so, just won the Arnold Classic. Yeah, he won the Arnold Classic. So I've been seeing a lot of that video in yeah, reference yeah, yeah. to. No, Jocko a lot of people are, are. A lot of people are wanting to test him to see, see if he was on Jocko White T. Oh, the Jocko White yeah, T. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they they don't test. know that it does. No, you can, you won't test. It doesn't test positive. Yeah, yeah. So. He only did a little the bit. The test though. is the deadlift. Yeah. He yeah. only did a little bit. You know how they smell those things though. before he just yeah, smelled yeah, yeah. the, the tea bag. <laughs> he was <laughs> snorting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's Jocko White Tea. You can get that. But that's coming in a can. Yeah. By the way. That's but for, it's going to, it's, it's in starting production. It takes a long time. Mm. But by the summertime, you'll be getting Jocko White Tea in a can. Like a, right. like one of the other energy drinks. <laughs> That just fill you with sugar and get you crazy. No, mm. this is gonna fill you with antioxidants, a little bit of caffeine, mm. and some good tastes. So yeah, that's coming. Let's see what else. Books. Speaking of books, on Amazon or wherever. Way the Warrior Kid. You you should have that book for all children. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is there any children? Okay. Is there any child in the world that doesn't need Way the Warrior Kid? No, didn't think so. So get that. And speaking of way of the warrior kid, there's a new way of the warrior kid that is out right now, available for pre-order. So get it. And one of the things that I would like to do, everyone tells me uh, things like, everyone should get way of the warrior kid. Every kid should read this book. Every kid should read this book in high school or in in their school. People say that to me all the time, because. It's very simple, clear lessons that everybody should absorb. And it would help. It would have helped me if I had that book. It would have helped everybody when they had that, if they had that book when they were younger. So want to get this book out there in, to more kids. One of the best ways to do that. If you order Way the Warrior Kid to Mark's Mission, order it from different sources. Get it from Amazon. Get it from Barnes & Noble. Go to your local bookstore and say, hey, can you please order this book for me? Mm. We want to get it spread out where mm. a bunch of different outlets are seeing the demand for it. That will increase the publicity that the book receives and it will get into more kids' hands. That's my goal, is to get right. more kids to read Way the Warrior Kid and to read Mark's Mission. So, do that, it's live. Um, also speaking of warrior kids if you want to support a warrior kid There's a warrior kid. That's a farmer and a businessman mm. And he's making soap from goat milk. Why because he's getting after it <laughs> You can order some of that at irishoaksranch.com and the motto 
because he makes he doesn't just make soap he makes Jocko soap sure yeah hey he wanted to make good soap dang it yeah. I quote I want to make good soap G O O D capitalized yeah so he makes Jocko soap smells like coconut by the way really oh, yeah because I, I like it. the smell of coconut yeah is there a coconut in here yes I, I didn't find it to smell like coconut it smells it oh it definitely you don't think it smells like coconut well maybe you have a more sensitive yeah. Hawaiian, yeah, uh, uh, olfactory, olfactory uh, senses situation, yeah. yeah. But the motto for mm. Jocko Stope stay clean, <laughs> yep. Discipline but. equals freedom, field manual. Again, you know, I was traveling around, I, I signed a lot of these books when I just traveled around. Uh, mm. When I was in Australia, a lot of people brought it in, and that was awesome. A lot of great feedback. One thing that's good, if you have that book and you like it and it's helped you, get it for someone else that you know that that wants to get on the path or should be on the path. So that's pretty easy to do. Also, the audio version of that book does not exist on audible.com. It exists on iTunes, Amazon Music, Google Play, other MP3 platforms. It's an album with tracks. Sure. That's why we did it that way. And finally, of course, Extreme Ownership. The new version of Extreme Ownership is out. The black one, which looks cool. Yep. It's got a little excerpt, new beginning, and it's got an excerpt of Q&A from this podcast in the back, which is solid. How long is that part of it? I don't want to say, I mean, you know, how think, much of that is I think, there's, is I think there? there's eight questions. I mean, and they're, you know, answers, yeah, like which is yeah. pretty robust answers. It's fairly robust, yeah. 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 And speaking of leadership, we have a company, Echelon Front. We solve problems through leadership. That's what we do, and we do it all the time. It's me, Leif Babin, JP Donnell, Dave Burke. You can email info at echelonfront.com, or you can go to our website, echelonfront.com. And, of course, there is the muster, which is a leadership gathering, a leadership seminar, a leadership conference. What do you learn there? Pragmatic leadership skills so you can win. That's what you learn. We're only doing two this year. We're doing one in Washington, D.C. You coming May 17th and 18th? Yeah. Okay. So you can come meet the Rob Jones. And then we're doing one in San Francisco, October 17th and 18th. The D.C. one, by the way, right now is already, it's more than half sold out right now. So these are both going to sell out, just like all the events that we've done have sold out. So if you want to come, register as quick as you can, extremeownership.com. We'll see you there. And until the muster, if you want to hang with us, we are on the interwebs. We are on Twitter. We are on Instagram. And we are on That's Your Facey Boy. <laughs> Echo is at Echo Charles. I am at Jocko Willink. And, of course, Rob Jones is at Rob Jones Journey. And he also has robjonesjourney.com. And on top of that, Rob Jones has his own podcast now. Boom, one yeah. episode. He's one episode deep. Boom. One episode deep. One He's on the, the path. Yeah. The podcast is called Use the Weight. Yep. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I remember Use that the Weight, too. which is. Wait till you see the logo. Yeah. <laughs> Legit. <laughs> yeah. So you can get that wherever MP3 or sorry, podcasts are available. Yeah. I've listened to the first episode. You talk about getting after it. Oh, yeah. And. Yeah, you talk about how to get through a lot of things, so it's 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 awesome. Can I add to that? I'm, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of an advice style uh, podcast right now, where people are asking me questions. So mm-hmm. all those people listen to this, you know, if you're sending question after question to Jocko, and he just refuses to answer. He goes, <laughs> 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 to 
you see, he reads it and then just throws it in the trash. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yep. Um, but yeah, if, if anybody has questions uh, that they want to get answered uh, by me, then send them to me at uh, robjonesjourney at gmail.com or through my website or through social media, and I will answer them. You just gave out your website on this? That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, you're, my email. You're fired up. Yeah. Email. Oh no, yeah, that's my that's my special email. That's not like my personal. That's my oh, special okay. email that I give out um, <laughs> for stuff like this. And sure. It also helps to keep it kind of separated, so yeah, I can yeah. have all my questions I can just check Got that email. It. Oh yeah, yeah. So you don't gotta sift. Through. Yeah. So I have to sift. Oh, and like the way I have to sift. Dang yeah, I gotta learn that lesson too a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did I miss anything else from your? Various platforms. No, I mean I am working on a book too. Oh, awesome! It's there's no real, uh, you know, date to release date or anything, but I'm hoping it's going to be a book about veterans um, and the positive, and just continuing to create that story that I was talking about earlier about pos- just telling that side of the coin about veterans that come home and are fine. Yeah. And I'm hoping it's going to be right now. I'm kind of making it kind of like you ever read anything by uh, by um, Plato? Well, he had yeah, he does like basically bit. his all of his writing is conversations yeah. that Socrates had. Yeah. So I'm hoping I'm going to make it kind of like that, where it's just basically this a series of conversations between two people. You know what? And this I just thought this while you were saying this because I think this is another important thing about on that exact subject and. We were talking earlier about these two categories of like the vet comes that that comes home and he's good and the vet that comes home and he's a little a little, a little bit off track. Yeah. But I, I would like to say and, and I know you're going to agree with this 100 percent just because you're a little bit off track doesn't mean you're going to get you, you can't easily get back on track or oh, yeah. I've known all kinds of veterans that they they were off track a little bit for a little while and then they figure it out and they get back on track they find a new mission so you know the guys and that's actually fairly common in my in my oh, yeah. from what I've seen and actually talking to a lot of uh, guys that that went through Vietnam mm-hmm. and they'd come home from Vietnam and they, they were a little messed up when they got home you know and they got through it, got over it, and got it out of their system and moved on. And again, we've talked about, I've talked about this before, you know, when you got done with World War II, you sat on a ship with a bunch of other vets for six weeks and you debriefed everything yeah. on a ride home. And you got that out of your system and you got to communicate and you got, you moved through it mentally. Yeah. Vietnam, they didn't have that opportunity. Vietnam, it was, oh yeah, you're in Vietnam today and then tomorrow you're in San Francisco. Yeah. Alone, by the way, you're not with anybody else. You're not with uh, any other veterans. Th- nowadays, we do a pretty good job of when you come home, you're coming home with your unit, you stay together, you have people to talk to that have the common experience. But yeah, to the vets out there that are thinking, oh man, I feel like I might be one of those guys that's not on the right track right now. You can get back on the right track. Yeah. And it's it's finding your new mission and moving down that path towards towards achieving it. And just trying everything that you possibly can. Like for me, it's easy to figure out what I needed to do because there was a system in place and it's an obvious physical injury. But with the mental injuries, we don't exactly know how to fix them yet, but you just have to keep trying this. All right. Try talking about it with a therapist. Didn't work. All right. Try, you know, hyperbolic chambers or whatever. Try this, try that, try that. And because just because you tried one thing and it didn't work out doesn't mean that you don't want to, that doesn't mean that you now are fine with, you know, nightmares and stuff you just got to keep trying everything until everything's exhausted yeah and i'll tell you i've i've in talking to to uh 
Jordan Peterson, uh, the, the couple times we've had him on here, into listening to him in, in reading his book. It's become very obvious to me, and it's f- sort of reflective of something that Dakota Meyer said on, on the podcast, which is like, hey, this is a, your, your, your brain, your, your mentality, your psychology is a system. And just like, just like you have a system to move through when you have a physical injury to get healed or get corrected, well, it's the same thing with your psychological state. Mm-hmm. And if that psychological state is off a little bit, well, there's things that there's people that know how to fix it. And if you listen to when Jordan's talking about the way that he would bring someone through a problem, there's a systematic way to do that. Yeah. And I never really understood that until I started listening to him because, you know, when they'd send us to the psychologist to debrief a deployment, you know, for me, it was just sort of, uh, you know, I had the, the, the negative attitude of all oh, this. I'm not going to tell this guy anything because I don't want them to think I'm crazy and I don't want to get, you know, put on whatever, you know, thing. And so I just was, hey, I'm just going to move forward. Yeah. And, and, and that's was sort of my attitude. And, and, I'll tell you, when I was in, that was a very common attitude, was, hey, look, I'm not going to tell this This psychologist doesn't know what I've been through, yeah. so I'm not going to tell him anything. That was very common. And again, I think for me, listening to Jordan, because I, I, I would have been, you know, two years ago or a year ago before I started listening to, to uh, Jordan Peterson talk, I never really saw the connection. And then it really solidified it when I heard Dakota talking about it, saying, look, this is a... I put the two and two together when I heard Dakota talking about it like there's people just like if you wanted to get good at Olympic lifting mm-hmm. you'd go to an Olympic if you tried to figure that out on your own it would take you forever and you might get hurt you might get hurt worse yeah. right. whereas if you went to a real Olympic lifting coach and said hey I want to learn the clean and jerk and the snatch they would say okay here's where we're gonna start we're gonna start with the PVC pipe and then we're gonna go through the motions then we're gonna get yeah. better at this and then we're gonna do high pulls and they're gonna walk you through the whole system and, and a psychologist will do that with your brain. They'll say, oh, okay, I see what you're scared of needles, as the, yeah. the example that Jordan Peterson gave. Here's what we're going to do to get you used to needles. Well, when you come back from a traumatic event, here's some things that we can do to, to revisit that. And I think the same thing that you talked about earlier with like movies, mm-hmm. I think the part of my prejudice against psychologists came from the way that they're portrayed in movies oh, yeah. as being like, you know, sitting on this couch and like these weird people that you know, and and it's not. It's more pragmatic than that. Yeah. At least it seems that way to me. So it's like a trainer kind of, or like yeah, a it's more like a trainer, uh, more like yeah. a more like a coach, a right? Therapist, yeah. More like a coach or more like yeah. a jujitsu instructor. Yeah, that's yeah. saying like, hey, here's what you need to do here. You yeah. get caught in this position. Here's what you need to do. The yeah. psychologist says, oh, you're having you're having bad dreams about this. Okay, let's try these things. And I don't know yeah. what those things are because. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist, but sure. they do know. Yeah. Yeah. They do know what to tell you to do, and they do know how to help you get through those things. And just like jujitsu, or just like athletic training, or just like Olympic lifting, it's going to vary for different people. And a good psychological coach is going to have a, a know how to make those adjustments and say, "Oh, you're feeling this a little bit more. Oh, it's because you came from this kind of family, so this is what's going to help you. But you came from a different kind of family, so this is going to help you a little different way." Yeah. So I think those things are are important to think about. And again, it, I just wanted to reemphasize the point that just because you might be in a rut as a either as a vet or just as a human being, you know, there's there's every little decision you make, you can start moving in the right direction and moving towards a better place oh, in, yeah. in your life and everything that you're doing. So just wanted to bring that out. Echo, you got any other th- anything else? All good. Good to see you again. Oh, man. It's, it's so awesome to be here. 
just be included among the the people that uh, you guys deem worthy of, you know, it takes a long time to do this. It takes a lot of preparation. And it's just for you guys to to take that time and, and spend it on preparing to have me as a guest. It's a, it's a huge compliment and a huge honor. Dude, Man. It's an honor for us. Do you got any, uh, any other closing thoughts? Yeah, I just want to point out that, uh, you know, I'm the one here in the hot seat. And I'm getting all the accolades and sure. um but you know I didn't I didn't do anything that I've accomplished without people helping me. I, I like to it's kinda of like a pyramid, like I'm I'm the tip of the pyramid. I'm like the the, the thing that everybody likes to see yeah. and it's the top of the pyramid, but there's a whole gigantic base underneath this pyramid that if the tip didn't have it, then the tip would just be a stupid rock. And so, you know, I all the way since my recovery, you know, I've had supporting people and my family, and especially on this month of marathons thing I just did. If 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 my wife hadn't been there, if Pam hadn't been there, then it's not happening at all. I mean, there's some things that I could say, you know, I could could have done it, uh, but it wouldn't have been as good. But this thing would not have happened without her. She, I mean, I totally gave her the reins. I you know set it up, and if there was any questions she had about overall you know vision for what i was trying to accomplish she would ask me but like when we had a couple hiccups along the way and i just totally 100 percent trusted her that she'd be able to take care of it and she did every single time and she i'm sure i'm not giving even enough credit i don't i'm so there's probably a thousand things that she did i don't even know about yet um but i mean i just owe her huge and then also my mom same thing, you know, just uh, being willing to withstand a month in an RV with four people, you know, and probably putting up with me being grumpy or whatever, you know, in pain and stuff. And I uh, couldn't imagine having, you know, two people along with me that, that would have uh, made it better or that I would have trusted as much. And then also my buddy that drove. Uh, and then just all the people that kept me going, that ran with me, and, you know, deemed me worthy of their time and the people that sent me messages of encouragement that couldn't make it out. Um, I just owe everybody a huge debt of gratitude. And I'm going to do my best to, to continue to keep fighting and uh, earn that respect and earn that uh, earn their effort, earn their sacrifices as much as I can. Awesome. Well, obviously, Rob, it's an honor to have you back on here again. I look forward to whatever the hell kind of crazy <laughs> thing you do next. I'm not sure what it's going to be, but I'm sure it'll be something awesome. And of course, thanks to everyone for listening to this podcast. Thanks to the service men and women that are holding the line day and night, day and night, fighting against evil. Thanks to police, law enforcement, firefighters, paramedics, other first responders that are always on call, always on call to protect us here at home. And to everyone that's listening, I want to refer to one last journal entry that Rob wrote and something that we talked about the last time that he was on, and that was using the weight because the weight of the world can be heavy. The weight of the challenges and the trials of life 
can drive you into the ground. And that weight can wear you down and break you. But instead of letting the weight wear you down, instead of letting the weight break you, you can use the weight to make yourself stronger. To make yourself tougher, to make yourself better. And that is what I recommend everyone does. Just like Rob says, use the weight. Now, get out there and get after it. And until next time, this is Rob Jones and Echo and Jocko. Out.